Hello, and welcome to the Pretty Pixels podcast. I am your host, Joey Crunwell. This is episode 25. I can't believe we're already 25 episodes in. And today, I have a very special guest, my good friend, Paul Groskoff, who's here to talk about Mass Effect with me. So welcome, Paul, and thank you for joining us. Woohoo! Happy to be here. <laughs> um, longtime fan, first-time caller on the show. Uh, it's, it's, it's very exciting <laughs> to be here. Thank you. Yeah, Paul and I um, met in grad school. We had a couple of classes. I, th- well, we, I know we had one class, but we were talking before this, and I was like, I swear I remember another one. But either way, we met in grad school. Um, we didn't really talk at the time. We just sort of had class together. And then eventually our mutual friend Amy, who's come up on the podcast before, was like, you guys would get along. And lo and behold, <laughs> I feel like I keep making this comment that I feel like we are we shared genes or, or some kind of DNA because so many of our interest line up like Mass Effect. So um, I'm really excited to talk about that. We're going to talk about our experience with the Legendary Edition. We're going to go through each game and really get into some of our thoughts and looking back at when we first played it, comparing it to our our new, more recent playthrough and just really kind of dig deep on the whole trilogy. So I look forward to that. But before we get there, I want to know a little bit about you. So tell us a little bit about your background as a gamer. Yeah, well, first of all, Joey, I'm imagining at some point that we're both going to have like a ripped up photograph of our parents, like parent trap (laughs) style, and then we're going to put them together and realize. (laughs) (laughs) Like, wait a minute. Yeah, but um, I am I I have been um, a lifelong video game um, enthusiast uh, and uh, uh, yeah, my, my, my very first gaming experiences were on the Super Nintendo, um, which my, my dad had bought, um, and, uh, have a lot of fun memories there, though, um, I, I, I don't think I beat any of the Super Nintendo games I, I owned at any point, which, um, (laughs) I don't, yeah, like, I, I just, I don't know, um, like, like, so many of them were, were just so difficult, um, to, to to sort of overcome that i even though i loved star wars or batman or aladdin or lion king i just couldn't <laughs> well you're naming like some of the hardest so some of the hardest games on that platform like those were ridiculously difficult what about like nintendo games like mario world didn't any of those did yeah, you beat i played super mario loved it but yeah i i couldn't i couldn't beat that one either um some of the later uh, platforming sections were were very difficult for me yeah um, for sure uh though they were great like i played them all the time but uh then i think um moving from the n64 um it was much of the same though i i, I started beating games you know when i got the n64 <laughs> that was really great but then uh, the PlayStation 2, I think, was the real moment that I like locked in of like, this is great because I started playing very sort of story driven games that um, I could like work my way all the way through. And uh, I started really getting invested in like like characters and, you know, um, the writing and uh, like kind of the, the, the world of the, the game itself even more than I had in other titles. And that is just sort of really um shaped my 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 sort of interest in the the kinds of games i like most which are like they tend to be like single player like story driven you know rpgs or not but um 
Yeah, games I can finish, which now that I'm thinking about it, maybe that's, again, tied to some some trauma from my, my Super Nintendo days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I when you said that, I was a little surprised, and then I thought back to, like, NES games, and I'm like, have I finished, other than, like, the Mario games, how many NES games have I finished? Because NES games were also notoriously hard, and then when it moved to SNES, they were getting better in terms of, like, accessibility and all that stuff, but still... You know they were uh, ridiculously hard, so I I don't blame you at all. So PS4 would that be your favorite platform if you had to pick like a console? Ooh yeah, probably. Yeah, that was probably where I had so many of my my formative gaming experiences. Um, at, at least in recent memory, but also like my my Xbox 360 was also quite um important to me as well. <laughs> like, yeah, um, totally. I, uh, yeah, I played through, you know, we're talking about today, but that's where I played through like Mass Effect, um, mm-hmm. for the first time until recently. It's where I got into Assassin's Creed, um, which, um, has been a franchise I've, you know, played through every single entry since its, its beginning. And I really, I love that. And, um, yeah, that, I would say that was an important one too. Oh, and of course, Elder Scrolls, I played, um, um, not being a PC gamer, I played, uh, so many Bethesda games like Elder Scrolls or Fallout on my 360 as well. So, yeah, that I would say, yeah, PS4 and, and Xbox 360 are probably the, the big moments. As a little bit of a prelude to our discussion of Mass Effect, had you played any other Bioware games prior to Mass Effect? Yeah, I played Jade Empire a bit, um, which was very cool, though I had to play it at a friend's house because I didn't own <laughs> I didn't own an Xbox. <laughs> um, and then I watched... Um, friends of mine play uh knights of the old republic i would love um to to actually like play through those myself because um that just seems like the um the prestige sort of bioware series ahead of ahead of mass effect so um i would love Absolutely. to dive into that yeah and you're a huge star wars fan and i feel like it's the knights of the old republic one is often regarded as like one of the best uh, extended universe or expanded universe star wars stories so i would love to get your take on that um and yeah that's where my love of bioware games started was the first uh kotor because of many of the things that we would go on to love about mass effect which we'll talk about in a bit but like making choices that affect the story romance all these kinds of things i it started there and it was with it was with star wars and the idea and a morality system of light side, dark side, that whole thing that was very exciting at the time. Um, so what was, what do you think, what's your favorite game of all time? Specific singular game. The Witcher three. Yeah. Um, that's my, that's my favorite. It's a, a, maybe a popular answer by a lot of people. Um, but, uh, and I know that CD project red is, you know, they're, they're, they're not the most well, well loved at the moment, but yeah, I, I absolutely, um, love that game so much, but, uh, yeah, I, uh, I certainly think that the things I like about it, which is, um, it is a big, like open world RPG that really, um, values and integrates your your sort of choices in in, yeah. in 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 a way that seems like very carefully sort of thought out, like both in terms of like the craft of like the minute by minute, you know, like um, the writing, you know, the fact that like um, you know characters will exist or not exist in the world based on um, choices you're making, and that their absence is valuable to the the bigger story. Um, 
Yeah, like there, there's just so much there um, that I, I, I really appreciate, and that, um, you know, again, it just it made me feel like I didn't have to choose between like, you know, like you can play like a Naughty Dog game where you're getting like this, um, you know, this incredible score and like the camera's moving around and like it could be like a very cinematic like powerful performance-based experience or you can have like a really open experience in something like Skyrim but maybe like in you know 99% of the interactions you have with people it doesn't matter what you did in the last mission or like what race you are and uh (laughs) yeah you know like um yeah finding a way to kind of like put those two things together I think is something that that game did really really well um so yeah that that's probably my pick but of course there are a lot of other great games too so what about your favorite series because I we had talked about this before and I think it is Mass Effect is that correct yes absolutely um especially now having revisited it um but uh yeah I I love it that that was the the series that got me and I it just does everything that I, I love out of a video game and um, and how interconnected the three games are, which I'm sure we'll talk about more once we, we dive in um, earnestly. Um, yeah, and, and the attention to detail, like how well thought out every aspect of those those games are and, and how much more I came to appreciate that through various like playthroughs. Yeah, it's just, it's awesome. And uh yeah, I, I, I absolutely love it. And um, it's, yeah, and I, well, and I think I'm not alone there, too, just um, based on how much excitement there's been with uh, the uh, the sort of Legendary Edition coming out. And also how much, you know, at the time, how much, um, like, sort of vocal frustration there was with the ending of the third game, which I'm, I'm sure we'll get to as well. But uh, I think an, it, it, a positive way of thinking about even, like, that moment is, like, it just, it speaks to... Um, you know, how special that that sort of series is, um, even now to a lot of people. I was so happy to see the response to the Legendary Edition because I thought that there would be like a few hardcore people that would be excited for the release and then you just wouldn't hear about it because people wouldn't post about it because they've played it before and, you know, we've we've all heard it, but the response was so public and so overwhelming and people were just constantly posting screenshots and their favorite memories and everything and I almost wonder if it was sort of cathartic just because of what Bioware's been through with Anthem and then the fact that um, uh, Andromeda didn't do that well or didn't do nearly as well as people had hoped or wanted or anything. So I, I wonder if it was, it was sort of a release. Like we get to revisit this trilogy that we loved so much at the time because um, there was just so much positivity, which definitely warmed my heart um but another game that i know you love because we played it together online <laughs> and it's stereo let's let's kick off our new section with it is ghost of tsushima so the director's cut releases in just a few weeks i think is it september august 20th for the august 20th yeah. wow okay um and then the legends mode which is the online the free online mode launches you know as a standalone experience on september 23rd for 20 dollars. so if you don't buy the director's cut or you don't have the the base game the original game you can buy just the online mode which is great we again paul and i've played it a bunch <laughs> um for 20 bucks and they're adding a rivals mode where you can i think it's i don't know if it's two two v two or if you could do one v one but it's um you play against a friend and you go through the different um levels and you try to basically compete to see who can finish 
the levels quickest, I think. Is that correct? Yeah, it's like a, a competitive spin on the the otherwise like kind of like cooperative horde mode that they've been doing. Yeah, and if you it comes with the base game or with the director's cut and and the base game, so people will have it. But um, again, if you don't want to buy the the director's cut or the the um the base game and maybe you're just interested in the online mode which is a very good fun mode it's uh 20 bucks which is not bad but you're gonna get the director's cut i'm assuming right oh absolutely (laughs) so where is that on your list because you seem to really love that as well is that is that top 10 top five Ooh, i probably put it top 10 um for sure i i loved it well and also um i uh i play most games uh with uh my my uh, fiance Jacqueline and um that's her favorite game that we've ever played together which like also makes me um you know want to rank it higher as well because we had such a great time going through it but uh yeah I I love I love Ghost of Tsushima it probably has my favorite combat of of any game I've ever played like I thought the um the the variety like the amount of options you have and uh, just the feeling of you know like parrying dodging you know and and sort of attacking with the the, the sword play there just it, it it's awesome i really love it yeah i was so happily surprised with it because when i had heard when it was first previewed i had heard that it was going or people assumed i think maybe what that it was going to be like a souls like game or a souls born like game and it didn't turn out i mean I, I haven't played very much of those games so maybe it maybe it's alike in more ways than i think but the combat was so easy to learn and so satisfying it's easy to learn and hard to master it's that kind of system where it's like so smooth and fluid that you could get away with not learning every intricacy but if you do all of that it just rewards you in so many ways so i, I love the combat for that game um, and yeah, I'll definitely be picking up the director's cut. I don't know if I'll pick it up right away because I feel like I have a lot to play coming up, but um, I will definitely be getting it eventually. Um, and our next, oh, okay, so now we have some 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 bummer stories, yeah. kind of. Uh, so the first one is um, Steve Gaynor, co-founder of Fulbright Studios, has stepped back from his role as creative director on the studio's upcoming game, Open Roads. That actually happened back in May, but it's just becoming public now due to a a report by Polygon. Um, And he was accused of being hostile and toxic to his colleagues, particularly women. And it's not quite to the... I I don't mean to to make light of any of the, the behavior that he's done, but it's not to the extent of like the Blizzard Activision story. But... I think when you look at the numbers of people who have left the company, it becomes it becomes clear that it was it, this is an ongoing problem with this with with Gain, uh, Steve Gaynor. Um, so the article says uh, Polygon goes. Or this is from a game or a Game Informer article reporting on the Polygon report, but it says uh, Polygon goes on to note that the co-founder actually departed earlier earlier this year in March 2021. I said May, sorry. Uh, once it became clear that efforts put forth toward improving work relations were not effective long term. So they knew that this was happening. 15 people have left the studio. 12 said specifically that it was due to his behavior. And at least 10 of the or 12 of those were, were women. Sorry, at least 10 of those 12 were women. Uh, the way that they described his behavior was controlling, under uh, undermining and demeaning. Um, toward them and 
those numbers, I think when you put them into context, uh, another bit in the article said that the number of core Fulbright employees remained under 20 at any given time. Under 20, such a small studio, and you had 15 people leaving over the course of, I think it was like maybe a year or less. So um, I, I, I don't think that, again, like the behavior is comparable to the Blizzard Activision stuff, but it must have been bad if more than half your team 75 percent of your team left so and the fact that he's not even they said that he stepped back from his role as creative director but he's still a writer on the project so it's it was really disappointing because i really loved gone home and gone home is one of those smaller indie games that has this really progressive story about a young lesbian couple and it to know that this kind of thing is going on behind the scenes of such a small well-regarded indie studio even not this big triple a studio is like kind of heartbreaking i think yeah well it shows how pervasive this this kind of behavior is uh, just across this industry and obviously so many other industries but yeah on on every level and yeah even on like a, a team as small as this you know that has this reputation for you know, creating like pretty progressive, you know, um, like games and having like, at least again, in the kinds of stories that they're telling a commitment to, you know, diversity and, <laughs> and, 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 and social justice on at least some level. Um, yeah. To, to see this happening there is, is really disheartening. And yeah, I'm also, um, how, how this is hand, how this has been handled seems very uncomfortable to me and like sort of concerning and, that yeah he's he's got to stay on as a, a writer and that evidently things were happening in march but we're just hearing about them publicly now i yeah i don't know it's it's upsetting <laughs> yeah i mean he seems very controlling based on the reports and um, one of the people said I, I don't have the article in front of me but one of the former employees said that he looks at fulbright as his company and these games as his games and so everything has to be his way and it's like well then you make then make the game yourself like if if you're if you really want to be that controlling then you should not have coworkers and colleagues and employees like you have to treat those people it's a once you start involving those people it becomes a collaborative process so it's and 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 again like the fact that most of these almost all of these employees have been women yeah also kind of says something that just it's like you said, how can we trust, or you, you may have suggested, like how do we how do we trust the vision of equity and equality and representation that we're going to be seeing in these games, knowing that behind the scenes, one of the primary creators doesn't respect the people that they're representing? It's very frustrating. Um, but you also, so number one, I should mention you provided us with our news articles this week. So thank you for providing us with those. And two of them are actually related to the Activision Blizzard thing. And at first glance, I, it, they made me a little hopeful because we talked about how pervasive this problem was a couple of weeks ago on the podcast and how, um, it can be very easy to kind of get lost in pessimism because of how serious and, a lot long-standing a lot of these problems have been but tab and i when we were talking about it tried to end like a very hopeful note we were kind of looking at well employees seem to be taking it seriously people seem to be taking it seriously so maybe that's a good sign and at first glance i think these two articles also indicate that that might be the case so the first one is about kellogg's 
pulling their sponsorship for Overwatch, uh, the Overwatch League, from because of the Activision Blizzard lawsuit, and they joined T-Mobile, Coca-Cola, and State Farm. So all of these big sponsors are stepping back and reevaluating their partnerships with Activision and Blizzard um, because of these allegations, which seems to seems to indicate that even corporations are taking it seriously and saying they're see, we we see enough in this lawsuit that we don't want to be associated with this company. So that's 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 good. The other article is about investors um, of Activision Blizzard being uh, willing to question some of the executives in a recent um, investors call. So there was an investors call for Activision Blizzard. Uh, Game Informer reports uh, reported on it and talked about how a couple of the investors specifically asked about how these things were going to be handled. Um, so the article says that they asked for a plan for change. But that's not how I read the statements that they included. The statements, one of them uh, says, Matthew Cost, an analyst at Morgan Stanley, kicked off by asking, we've seen a lot of headlines about the lawsuit and employee concerns. Can you talk more about what you've been doing and will do to address those issues? And then just secondly, can you expand on any expected impact to productivity as you work through the situation? And do you expect any impact on the pipeline? And then... Uh, Separately, later in the article, it says, additionally, several shareholders have filed a class action lawsuit against Blizzard, Activision Blizzard, citing that the current conversations have, quote, economically damaged potential profit in the future. So I think at first glance, and the way that the article was sort of framing it was that, hey, even investors are concerned and they want to know that there's a plan to like get out of this. But it was all framed in terms of productivity <laughs> and and money. It was like, Oh, are you are you going to handle this because our profits might be sinking because of this? So get your shit together because this is our money on the line. That's how I was reading it. Um how were you reading it? Does it was there am I missing something? Was there hope that I'm I'm not being, you know, I'm being too cynical about? Yeah, I I read it very cynically as well. Like um it there is like a lot of these sponsors um like you know pulling out of the the overwatch league or whatever like that that's a, a big deal and it, it comes back to this idea that like like money talks and um yeah what will motivate corporations to make changes if they feel they have to um are you know um these sort of um instances of of losing you know profit and and losing sponsors and things like that and that's fair, but that also, um, I think that totally um, speaks to my my sort of, I guess, cynical response to um, the, the entire situation, because um, the same thing that will um, sort of motivate change is also the thing that allowed employees at Blizzard to do what they were doing, right? Which is that um, as long as, you know, Blizzard, Activision, they're... they're they're bringing in money. Things are, are going pretty well. The investors are happy. Like nothing needs to change. And like, um, yeah, to the extent to which in that, that Game Informer article that we're talking about, um, one, the investors are like, some of them are filing like a lawsuit about how having conversations about workplace harassment is hurting, you know, the, uh, the, the, the projected sort of profit margin, the pipeline, you know, whatever, which is disturbing enough um, and speaks to this problem. 
but yeah, also this idea then that um, their commitment to really changing things there um, is pretty exclusively tied to, to making investors happy or to making sponsors happy. And they're not willing to engage in um, some of the more serious, you know, aspects of what's actually what what actually was and likely currently is going on in their their company like um rumors about like the the bill cosby room and like um crawling under like cubicles or whatever and you know those things were totally unaddressed in this meeting explicitly anyways and um yeah then there's other things that are just sort of either tone deaf or you know would lead a more cynical person (laughs) like me to when it comes to these kinds of issues to to be weary like the fact that um the law firm that they are hiring to do the investigation is the same law firm that was like sort of um, that spearheaded Amazon's efforts to like stop workers from unionizing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, And many of those employees of Activision Blizzard Blizzard that had signed that letter that we talked about previously and that have walked out demanded that a new company, a new firm be chosen because of that. And so far, so uh, as far as I've read, Activision Blizzard has not responded to that at all. And they sidestepped it. All of their responses to these investors in those calls were very typical, very like, well, we've made many great steps over the last, you know, couple, you know, months or years or whatever. And we've done lots of great stuff and we're listening and everything. And it's like none of that. But the problem is that's probably what the investors want to hear, because, again, they're concerned about the bottom line. They would have said something like, you know, we not just like what what are your plans to address this and and like you need to address this if there would have been more of a demand because they have that power that would have been something but you know it's it's hard not to read this cynically but as you said the thing the the first story with those partnerships i think that's the one where i'm like okay that's 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 better because not only are they losing money there that is a bad look like these big like coca-cola t-mobile kellogg's these are big companies and when you're losing those kinds of partnerships and other big companies don't want to have anything to do with you, at least for now, that, that says far more than an investor saying, Hey, are you going to stop us from losing as much money as we, we might based on this, this issue. So, um, yeah. So maybe again, I'll leave it at that. Hopeful (laughs) (laughs) that semi hopeful, semi cynical, um, stopping point. Uh, but that, that's it for the news for the week. So let's talk about what we've been playing. Um, I, well, I'll let you start. I've been playing a a few different things, but, um, what, what have you been playing lately? I I know some of them, but yeah, well, we, we can share our, our shared gaming experience lately. Uh, I'll wait for, for you, but, uh, to, to dive into that. Uh, but, uh, I've been playing hollow Knight, Um, and I, I'm super late to the party. So for all you hollow Knight enthusiasts listening, <laughs> you were right. You were right. I was wrong. I'm with you now. <laughs> oh. I've seen the hollow light. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Um, I have been, uh, baptized in the, uh, acid lakes in the, the many caverns <laughs> of uh hollow Knight's world um no i i absolutely love it i was super intimidated initially um because i had heard that it was incredibly difficult um but i was also 
a lot of people like were raving about it and it looks just like gorgeous like how i would describe it um if you haven't seen it it's like over the garden wall meets hr geiger like it's like an incredible wow <laughs> yeah combination um and it, it yeah it, it looks absolutely beautiful um and that that's what drew me in but uh i'm just yeah i'm I'm blown away by it. I've I've sunk in a lot of time, uh, which is funny because I was playing this in between, um, you know, uh, some of the bigger games that I've been playing lately. So I thought this would be a shorter diversion, but now it's just I think I'm like 40 hours in and I'm not even <laughs> finished yet. Um, but uh, yeah, Damn. it's so big and great and really fun and it's challenging without being like discouraging. And I think that boils down to a combination of, you know, like when you fail at something in hollow Knight, the game doesn't punish you too severely. Um, it'll at the most like, like take some money away from you, but like you can gain money pretty easily in the game. Mm. Um, so you can keep trying things over and over again, which is nice. And also, yeah, the, the, the combat and platforming, um, gives you a lot of freedom um, to sort of, you know, make adjustments using uh, like charms in the game that like can give you extra health or like um, allow you more recovery time after you've been hit or like damage enemies if you're hit or like make your, your, your sort of your weapon, your nail hit a little harder. So um, unlike maybe some classic like metroidvania games where it feels very rigid like you're meant to do things like a very specific way um i think one of hollow knight's strengths is like um you can you can approach things in, in a lot of different ways and um that uh like boss fights or various stages throughout the world actually support that and hold up like there's no at least i've discovered there's no like game breaking combinations of charms that either make it too easy or you feel like you absolutely need them to get through a particular area. So yeah, I've been, I've been loving that quite a bit. That is one of the games where I feel like it's a must play just because I hear it so often as, as you seem to imply, like people you'd heard many people sort of preaching about it and saying like, it's great and everything. And I have as well. And it keeps coming up. It's not like it wasn't one of those like small games where, it came out and for two weeks people were hot on it and then you just never hear about it again. Like I keep hearing it come up again and again and again in discussions. So I feel like I have to play it just to be able to get some of the comparisons that people make where they'll be like, Oh, it's kind of like hollow Knight meets this or something. And I'm like, I have no idea. I have no frame of reference for that. So, so I'll definitely have to check it out, but you're, you're, so you said you're 40 to 50 hours in, like yeah. how do you have a sense of where you're at in the game? Yeah, I'm definitely approaching, um, the, uh, the conclusion of, I think the the base game story, but then there's, there's DLC. And on top of that, I, um, I'm a real smell the roses kind of player. So like, there's a lot of like content in the game that you don't necessarily need to, or, or like areas in the game that you don't necessarily need to explore um in order to beat it but because it's it's there um i i kind of am am diving into all that extra stuff too so yeah i um i'm i'm I'm, i think i'm nearing the end of the base game but then between the dlc and like all the the little things nooks and crannies that i haven't gotten to yet there's probably like 15 or 20 hours more i would have to guess wow that is a that is a hefty game 
Um, yeah, that's yeah. Like I said, I'm 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 sure I'll I'll check it out eventually. Um, what else have you been playing? Anything other than our our shared game? No, not really. Um, I know you have been playing Persona Five yeah. Royal, which uh, <laughs> how has that been so far? That is amazing. Of course, as always, I'm on Futaba's palace now, and I I know I've talked about Futaba before in the show, but she's. I think she's one of my favorite video game characters of all time. I just, I love her backstory. I love her personality. I love her voice actress and um, her design, everything. I just really, uh, I love her her character and doing her palace, which I don't want to say too much because you, you haven't played it. You said you're going you're gonna to play it soon. Mm-hmm. So I won't say too much, but her palace is definitely different than the other palaces. Um, and it reminds me a little bit of, of Persona Four Palace, but I'll I'll just sort of stop stop there. But um, but no, I'm I'm loving it. I'm trying to kind of burn through it, but it's hard. It's such a big meaty game, and I don't want to burn through. I'm not like skipping cutscenes or anything like that. I'm just trying to get through it at like a pretty quick clip because there's so many big games coming out. Um, Back for Blood being one of them. So Back for Blood it has an, a beta right now, and then I think they're going to open it up to an open beta this coming week and so um it seems like a bunch of people got invites i i got an invite uh tab got an invite um and you get friend you get up to four friend codes that you can send your friends for them to play as well so i sent you one i think we're gonna play later on today hopefully um but tab and i have been playing a lot we played a ton yesterday and a a pretty good chunk the day before that and i'm having a blast like i i loved left for dead and left for dead 2 and this game is made by much of the same team. I think most of that team went on to start their own studio, and now they're making essentially, I think, what a lot of people consider Left for Dead 3. And it really is. And there's a card system which concerned me because I'm, I'm not a big I'm not a big fan of card systems. <laughs> um, so I was a little hesitant when I heard it's Left for Dead with cards. I was like, oh no, oh god. <laughs> but the cards are so minimal and. Basically, the way that it works is you build a deck of cards that you collect. I'm not sure how you're going to end up collecting them in the final game, but right now they give you some, and then you can collect a couple as you're playing through the campaign, like here and there. And these cards have different perks and abilities and things like that. So it might be like 10% stamina or 5% reload speed, things like that. So you have this deck, and then as you go into each level, you pull one card. And so, and that adds it to your de- to your existing hand, I guess you would say, for the for that for the all of the levels that you do. So, um, they they pull five cards for, at, at random from your deck. So out of those ten cards, they'll show you five, and then I'll be like, I'm gonna go with reload or not reload speed with ammo because I keep running out of ammo. So, I'm gonna go ten percent ammo, and then that adds it and kind of adds that perk for the level, and that's basically it. And maybe. Once the game comes out and it gets more, you know, gets further into the game, gets more advanced, there'll be some high level stuff that you can do with the cards. But until then, th- I'm fine with this because it's very simple, very easy to understand. Uh, I'm not sure I understand all the in in and outs of some of the other cards because there's cards that add negative attributes to the level as well. Like one of them was like a fog card. Um, and I didn't pick that one, just I think the game picked it for me. But again, it doesn't really explain. So. Um, and I think all of that sort of keeps your replays fresh because just like the like Left 4 Dead and Left 4 Dead 2, a lot of it is about replayability and replaying the same levels and different things happening and 
and random, you know, enemy placement and random perk placement and weapon placement and all that stuff. So, um, I think it's, I think it's going to be really cool. It's a lot of fun. Um, and it looks great. It handles great. The gun plays very smooth. So I'm really happy with that. And I can't wait to play more today. Um, and then, like I said, it's going into open beta this week. So if you didn't get uh, an invite code for the closed beta, I think everyone will be able to download the the beta demo and play later this week. Um, the other thing I've been playing outside of our shared game is Tab and I went to the Fortnite <laughs> Ariana oh, Grande concert. Yeah, yeah and um, I'm not I'm not necessarily like a huge Ariana Grande fan. I like some of her Christmas music, but like. You know, I don't have any of her albums or anything like that, but I had heard that the Travis Scott concert that happened in Fortnite was like mind blowing and it didn't matter if you knew who he was. It was so cool. So I was like, I do know who Ariana Grande is, so I'm interested. And so Tab and I hopped on. I finally got to use my Chun-Li skin. Very excited about that. <laughs> and we we jumped in and it was okay. <laughs> <laughs> It was it was a little disappointing because of the way that people talked about the Travis Scott concert was like mind blowing. They were like, "It's transcendent. It's the new, it's the new form of like concert going of the twenty first century." And like, <laughs> I this is going to be the the norm from now on. So I think we were both expecting something like we were. I think expecting Ariana Grande to be, to to be there in some way, like whether it was singing or motion capture or something, and she wasn't. It was just a pre-rendered Fortnite version of her that sort of flew through these levels and you flew with her. It wasn't terrible. It was kind of cool, but it was very short. Like it lasted less than 15 minutes. And at the end of it, it was, it ended so abruptly. We were like kicked into uh, this, like we were like riding these um, rainbows over the map. And we were like, we thought it was like transitioning from the, from that to the next event. Like we're like, here we go. Like, zooming around on rainbows going through like these little hoops and stuff to get points and at some point it's going to like pull us back into this cool you know very trippy concert and it didn't we just kept flying around and we're like <laughs> is that is that it and, like it was it was very confusing um so i don't think it was was perfectly executed um i kind of wish it was a little bit more real i mm. guess you know because it was all very staged and like I said I don't I didn't get the sense at any moment that Ariana Grande was actually there and that's what I thought would have been really cool um but it wasn't bad it was it was very it was cool to go through the levels it was very artistically done in terms of some of the stage you know how they staged some of it so it was fun it was free it was it was fine it just wasn't as mind blowing as I had had kind of been you know, allowing myself, I, allow, I allowed myself to get hyped a little bit too much. So, um, and then outside of that, we have been playing Overcooked All You Can Eat. So we, you and I had an experience. I don't remember when this was. I think it was like you would come over to my house and we were like, it was like me, you, Jacqueline, Paul and Amy, or uh, sorry, uh, Paul and Amy, <laughs> you are Paul, Amy and Russell. And we were looking for like a game to play couch co-op kind of thing. And I think Overcooked came up. Am I remembering this correctly? It was at Amy and Russell's house over Halloween. Oh, okay. Um, That's and, what it was. And it was very late at night, um, which is, <laughs> will become important later. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very. It was late at night, and we had already played other games and, and such, and so it was just like, oh, let's just try that. And 
I think we started well into the game. Like I think yeah. we started at some of the more advanced levels. Um, and if anyone has played that game, like it's one of the things it's known for is being stressful. Um, and just being like, it's so easy, especially when you feel overwhelmed to just get just locked down and like, you know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what I'm doing. Yes. I don't know what I don't, anyone else is doing. We're not communicating. Um, and I, I think I don't want to put words into your mouth, but th that seemed to be your response to that first time playing it. Right. Yeah, to absolutely. Deer in the headlights. Like what is going on? Um, <laughs> very, very confused. And then, you know, you feel a great deal of shame because you're at least I in that moment was not being helpful as a result of my confusion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's hard because you, you, do want to feel helpful you want to be productive because i think we're all team players so it's like i want to contribute but um but part of it is communicating so we it's and i think that's why i like it so much is that when we start getting overwhelmed everyone's getting overwhelmed so like it would help you if we had communicated more clearly do this or do that or help us like this but we felt so overwhelmed that we weren't re really able to clearly communicate stuff so i remember at one point i think it was amy that was just like you know just just like chop stuff or whatever. Like she was trying to kind of like just give you something to do because it's so hard for us to look at what you're doing and then look at what we need to do as a team and say, well, here's how to help. So uh, Overcooked All You Can Eat Edition came out and it's basically the first two games um, upgraded and you can play online for the first time. And so when I saw that and I saw that it was 50% off on the PlayStation Store, I put out a call and I was like, hey, is anyone interested? Because I think it would be fun to kind of start from the beginning where we're learning those fundamentals because you didn't have that luxury. You, We just threw you into the deep end and we were like, <laughs> grab onto the side and, and take your legs. <laughs> so everyone, you and Paul, you know, why do I keep saying you and Paul? You and Amy and Russell were like, yeah, let's let's do it. So. Um, we downloaded it. You, I, you, me, and Paul. What the hell? I'm just going to thank you for joining us. That's all we have time for. Um, me, you, and Russell all played. And we started at the beginning. And we made it almost to the end of the game in one sitting. So what? how did... So I, I had never gotten that far. I had a blast. Um, but I had played much more of the game than than you had. So what was your experience the second time? Way better. Um, okay. way better one just like I think approaching it um, you know at an earlier point in the day probably was was helpful but also like um, yeah I think starting from the beginning the game has a much more gradual ramping up in, in difficulty than you know like starting later because some of those later levels you know they get very chaotic and you know um, even if you have like a set plan or like roles that you're planning on, on fulfilling in a particular stage, like some stages can just really uh, like trap you on a platform and suddenly you can't do that anymore. Like can, can throw a lot of monkey wrenches into your, into your schemes, but I, I loved it. I, um, yeah, I, I thought the, the difficulty um, was e much easier to manage starting from the beginning, but also I think that, um, Overcooked is one of those things where it's, like, all about who you're playing with, with even more than, like, um, kind of, like, the, the game itself sometimes. And I think, yeah. I think yeah, we just had such a, a lovely, like, 
um, energy in response to like much like in everybody's golf, which we we play quite a bit as well. If things were things are going poorly, like it's kind of like fun in a way. Yeah. Then then as opposed to, <laughs> I think we're we're we're, we're maybe the. The, the the wheels come off the bus sometimes for a lot of overcooked players is like when things start to go badly they turn on one another <laughs> and it gets a little lord of the flies esque <laughs> yeah i love so in, in overcooked too you can throw things and i that's one of my favorite things because when i start getting overwhelmed i just start throwing food i'm like i think we're gonna need these and i'm throwing like meat and like fish and stuff and i'm like just and it's it adds to the chaos but it is fun like you said when things start falling apart um, it's harder to enjoy those moments in Overcook because you're so stressed and focused the whole time. So we'll finish a level, and part of me is like, "Did we hate that? Like, are we <laughs> mad at each other?" And then we like, "Well, someone will make a joke and we'll laugh." But I have to shout out Russell because, aka Paul, because <laughs> he was the real MVP because he seemed to really remember those levels and he was really helpful in being like, "Well, let's do this, let's do that," and yeah. so. So that was that was really cool. Um, but yeah, I, I really liked it. I'm glad that you liked it. I, I hope we can play. I guess we'll try, probably just try to finish the first. I would be happy with that. I never thought I would finish it because it is a hard game. One of the things I was thinking about after we finished is that it doesn't let you master skills. I think that's part of what makes it so stressful is like so many games, the gameplay loop is it'll introduce a new mechanic. You practice it. It'll test you. And then you get to master it. And then it moves on. Um, and overcook they're like here's a new thing and you have to scramble and just when you start feeling comfortable with it at the end of that one level the next level is like here's a new thing and i'm like i don't even remember i don't <laughs> even think i can do the last thing very well like it's and it creates this this wonderful chaos but like you said based on who you're playing with i'm sure i can imagine playing with some really really stress, stressful <laughs> people i guess i i'll say um but but yeah all right well should we should we do it should we get into to mass effect yeah let's do it all right well so we both i i guess let's start with our previous experience with the series you said it's your favorite series i know you've played through it more than once um so when did you first did you play it when it first released like when it first came out yeah so i think i played the um the first game maybe like a year or two years after it first came out i remember getting it um for a very reasonable price at my local GameStop, and i was like sweet and uh yeah uh played that really enjoyed it um but uh then i think i yeah i, I played two then uh, pretty close to right when it came out and that that was like the defining moment where I was like, oh my gosh. And then that made me retroactively really appreciate the first game even more. And then, yeah, by the time three rolled around, I was like, I was, I was ready to go and like, you know, counting the days until it's release. And, um, I, you know, I didn't, I was in school at the time, so I couldn't like take a week off of school, but like when I wasn't in class, every minute was, you know, me just was playing through that third game. What about, what about you, sir? I yeah I played it at launch as well. I had played um, again the Kotor games. I played Jade Empire, and so I was already full on the Bioware. I was a little disappointed when they announced Mass Effect because I was like, I wanted Knights of the Old Republic three because they didn't make Knights of the the Old Republic two, which I really liked. Um, I'm struggling to think of the 
the company that did. They made The Outer Worlds. Oh, Obsidian. Obsidian, yes, thank you. They made KOTOR 2, and it was a great game. I liked it as well. Um, but I was waiting for Bioware's take on it, and I was like, oh, maybe they'll do a newer one or something. And so they were like, we're going to do our own sci-fi story and it's going to be a little bit more star trek than star wars and i was like no <laughs> i love star trek too don't get me wrong i'm not one of those people that ha- like i have to take sides or anything like that i love both franchises but man if you're gonna put me in a universe where i get like my own ship and my own crew i want it to be more star wars than star trek so i was a little disappointed but i loved the bioware formula so much that i was absolutely willing to to give it a shot and yeah, I played all three of them at launch, um, which was interesting in part because there weren't a lot of guides out at the time. I don't know if you had this experience, which I don't I don't rely on guides, but with choice-based games, if I come across a particularly difficult decision that I just can't make and I'm so worried that it's going to completely fuck up my run, I will go to a guide and be like, what is this going to do? Like, what are the effects of this? Um but when a game comes a big game like that, especially 10 years ago, because the first game came out in 2007, almost 15 years ago, guides weren't up as immediately as they are now, where these companies get preview builds and they can make a guide and it's up for launch. So you'd be playing and you'd be like, oh, shit, what about this? And you'd look it up and you'd find other people that are like, well, this is what I did and here's my thoughts on why I did it. But you wouldn't find if you do this, then two chapters later, this is going to happen. So it was a very interesting um experience did you do you use guides did you use guides back then or did you like try to look them up or anything oh i use them all i use them all the time they're kind of like much like to what you're describing if i feel really torn and uncertain about a situation it's kind of like my panic button like i'm like wait yeah (laughs) good though now i'll tell you um gaming with a co-pilot um what i'll have jacqueline do so that i avoid spoilers is i'll just like tell her the choice i want to make and then i'll have her look and then i'll just be like is it bad is something really bad gonna happen and then she'll either be like "Ooh," or like ah yeah and then uh so she you can just role play her as your conscious like you're like weighing the decision the moral quandaries and you're like what does my conscience tell me <laughs> she's like mm, no don't do it that's cool that's really useful um but yeah i i go into these games like mass effect and i'm like i'm not going to use a guide because i want this all to be my journey my decisions and then as we talked about i'm like but if i do this and i can't bang my bay <laughs> then i'm not doing it so i do end up using them sort of as a crutch and like very key situations but uh so what at what point was it mass effect 2 where you were convinced that that like this is your favorite series this is this is your shit um because it sounds it sounds like like i think you mentioned before the podcast actually mass effect 2 was your favorite game before the witcher 3 right yeah no damascus yeah sorry um mass effect 2 is yeah it was absolutely my favorite game is still yeah, very, very near the top. Um, but yeah, that was my my moment, my kind of like Damascus conversion of like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like absolutely, <laughs> I, awesome. Yeah, I th- that that was totally my moment. And then also, it made me um repre- appreciate so much of what the first game had done to kind of set up, you know, um, so many great moments um, in that second entry. Uh, so yeah, I it made me appreciate the entire series more and made me so excited for the third game. But uh. Yeah, Mass Effect 2, especially when it first came out, like, 
what else was like it i i don't know i can't think mm-hmm. of anything um anything close and yeah wow <laughs> i love it so much that is one of the only uh, sort of unfortunate things about this re-release the legendary edition is that a lot of people who never played the originals are playing them or were playing them when it came out and didn't i think i don't think we're sort of keeping in mind that these are 10 to 15 year old games and so some of the things that they were doing at the time were cutting edge and were um absolutely sort of like just groundbreaking and you know so i think they deserve a lot of credit but so many games learned from them and have done what they started so much better in some ways um not not in a couple of key ways which we'll talk about but uh so i think it's easy to lose sight of like how much credit they they should get so that's the only sad thing is i'll I'll see people be like i don't like this or i think this is stupid and i'm like i don't want to sound like an old guy but (laughs) back in my day when the game came out you know (laughs) Um, but okay, so let's, well, actually, before we get, I want to do a synopsis of the first game and then just go through them game by game. But before that, I think we should probably talk about our reaction to the ending of Mass Effect 3, just to sort of frame this whole discussion and we'll end there as well. Because when you and I first had our, our first conversation, I think I had heard, I had saw the announcement for the Legendary Edition and the release date and everything. And I think you and I were actually playing Minecraft and... I was like, how do you feel about, no, 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 we weren't. We were having a Zoom call about Avatar, I think it was. And Mm. I was like, how did you, how do you feel about Mass Effect? And you were like, oh my God, hold on. (laughs) And so then we were talking about it and you asked me what I thought of the ending. And I explained my thoughts and then you explained your thoughts and we were actually pretty different on them. And so I want to, I want to touch on that now so that we can come back to that at the end of our discussion of Legendary Edition. So the ending of Mass Effect 3 was very controversial um, especially if you, like we did, played it at launch yeah. uh, before they had patched it and added a couple of things. Um, so what was what was your initial reaction to that that first ending of Mass Effect 3? Yeah, so my my initial response, I remember playing it and like immediately I was just overwhelmed with like, you know, because it's a pretty dark game in a lot of ways and then like the the ending and we are by the way we are venturing deep into spoiler country so uh, for anyone listening uh get out get out now (laughs) but um but i was like i i beat it and i was like man what a bleak ending um you know and i i have to die and like or if i don't like i have to do something pretty drastic that you know hurts a lot of other people in the world and like I, I was initially just kind of like overcome with it, but then like, yeah, over time, just the, the more I thought about it, um, the more I agreed with like, I think a lot of people at the time that it, um, felt very rushed. It, it, it felt like, um, it didn't really incorporate a lot of things that people love in the series, which is like, choice um you know infamously you know you get like an a b or c you know choice at the end that 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 feels kind of strange and 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 disconnected from the 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 rest of the the series that you've just been playing um but also like the all these characters that um are your meaningful connection to like the world and everything going on in it they're they're like largely absent from like the, the 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 final section um 
You know, and as a matter of fact, you're hanging out with like a, a, a like a ghost child who is like dropping exposition like the architect from the end of the Matrix <laughs> 2 and like explaining the ending to you. And you're like, oh, my gosh, I want to hang out with like this guy. Like, where's Liara or Tally right now? Like, yeah. so um, I, w- I was unhappy with it. And then I think there was and I don't want to speak like generally because I think like a lot of game journalists and game people especially now in hindsight um but like at the time too we're able to to criticize it but there's a lot of weird like video game critic gaslighting going on (laughs) at the time where they um a lot of reviews like i remember game informer like the review is explicitly like um don't listen to people who are upset this is like the best ending like you could possibly ask for for this series and um so i think that maybe stoked the fire both in my soul but also the souls of other <laughs> fans as well but uh yeah um that that was kind of my take on it initially but uh yeah what what was your sort what were your sort of thoughts I probably would have been one of those gaslighters because (laughs) it's not that I loved the ending, but I had this like very kind of neutral acceptance of it because I looked at it as a very sort of typical tragic hero sacrifice kind of ending um, where you do all of this stuff and you're so selfless. You put yourself through hell and back and all these things and of course, like there's only one ending and it's that that you're going to have to sacrifice yourself because right. what if you don't, then how, how does the story continue? So for me, and I think part of it was like spending so much time with these games and being in that universe so intensely for the five or six years or whatever those between the, the when those games came out together, um, I was already sort of grieving the end of the series because yeah. it was meant to be a trilogy. And so I think your sacrifice at the end of the game was kind of psychically tied to that because I was like, my time with the game is ending and dying anyway, so it doesn't really matter what happens to Shepard. Um, I didn't like I didn't like the choices that they gave you, and I almost felt like it was a product of that storytelling thing that's happened in the last like ten to fifteen years, which is that everything has to be sort of dark and grim and quote-unquote realistic or gritty and so it's not that i loved it but i understood it and i accepted it and so i wouldn't have written as you said the the review that was like this is the best possible ending i didn't think that but i was like it's not the trash fire that everyone's making it out to be it's not offensive to me it's not all that kind of stuff like i don't feel like bioware was getting like it's that whole gamer thing they were getting like death threats and like people saying they're going to boycott their products. They'll never buy another. I thought that was like an overreaction. So I was sort of like pushing against that a little bit, but, um, but now in hindsight, having not played the games again since then, and now playing through all of them back to back, maybe I have a different take. We'll see when we get to the end of our discussion of mass effect three, but, um, but let's just say that hindsight is a very powerful thing. So <laughs> we, we will get there, but let's talk about mass effect. So I, I, I wrote up a bunch of notes. I wanted this to be very conversational, but I'm like, Oh, I'm these three. I don't, I don't want to say massive because compared to Witcher three or persona or something, they're not massive, but they are three meaty RPGs. Um, and there's just a lot to keep track of. So I wrote up some notes for myself and for the, the audience, if you haven't played the games, 
as Paul mentioned, we're going to be going into all kinds of spoilers. Um, but I did want to make sure I'm including those people. So I have a brief, like a very brief synopsis of the story for each one. And this is mostly based off my memory. So if you want to add anything, Paul, I had to stop myself because there's so many, there's so much lore and so many details to this, these games. Um, but my, my very brief memory <laughs> dependent uh, synopsis of the first game is um, you play as Commander Shepard. Uh, a, a member of the Alliance Navy, which is basically the Navy of Earth, um, all the different nations. Uh, and you are working with Captain Anderson, uh, who is the captain of the Normandy SR-1, which is this new state-of-the-art kind of stealth ship. It's kind of a Star Trekian type ship, if you will. Um, so you're sent by the Citadel Council. The Citadel is this... Um, uh, sort of government of the many different races across the galaxy and there's three core races that that run it and um, the asari the turians and the salarians and all of the other races the Prothean or not the Protheans, the the um, krogan and the batarians and the humans all are they have um, embassies on the citadel so it's this big kind of governmental hub of the galaxy. Um, so you're sent by that council to recover a Prothean artifact. The Protheans are this precursor race that's been extinct for millennia. No, not millennia, centuries. Um, I don't remember. Um, a, ver a very long time. <laughs> a very uh, tens of thousands of years. I think it's like fifty thousand years or something, yeah, something like that. Like but either that. way, they've been they've been extinct for a very long time. Um, and this artifact turns out to be a beacon and you uncover on your route to uncover that you uncover a plot by a specter named Saren, who turns out to be the primary villain, the antagonist of the first game, um, who activates the beacon to uh, purportedly bring back an ancient race called the Reapers, who we find out later are responsible for wiping out the Protheans and all life in the galaxy. Um, so you present all of this evidence to the council they don't really believe you. Um, in, well, they don't believe you about the Reapers, but they believe you about Saren. So they fire Saren. They make you the first human specter um, tasked with investigating this uh, beacon and the Reapers. Um, but your quickly your own motives become to stop Saren and to prove that the Reapers are real. Because you've seen when you activated the beacon yourself, you saw these like ancient memories from. Uh, this ancient civilization, the Protheans, and you saw all life in the galaxy get uh, wiped out by these by the Reapers, um, but the Council doesn't really believe you. So you have this this journey to prove that the Reapers are real, prove that they're a threat, and that uh, Saren is trying to bring them back. And Saren, it turns out, is being controlled, mind-controlled, by one of the Reapers, a ship called Sovereign, um, who turns out to be a Reaper itself. And he's indoctrinated Saren and is controlling him, um, making him his puppet to use as a tool to bring the Reapers back. Uh, so the council pretty much all throughout refuses to believe you. Um, the human ambassador, Udina, is sort of using you or trying to use you for his own political purposes. Um, and you're working closely with Captain Anderson, who at the end of Mass Effect, which we'll, we'll get to this, but you basically have a choice. Um, humans are, because of your actions in part, are allowed to join the council. So you're going to be one of the four council races and you get to nominate either Ambassador Udina or <laughs> Captain Anderson. 
Um, and we'll, that'll be that's one of the big primary mm-hmm. choices that you make. So we'll we'll get to that. But is that fair? Is that I feel like I still went on for way too long. But <laughs> no, that that is way better than I ever could have <laughs> could have done in terms of condensing that down. Well done, sir. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> um, so let's talk about character creation. Tell me about your shepherd because you can start the game. You get to create your own shepherd. You get to create a little bit of their backstory. You get to design their look. Um, what does your shepherd look like? Who are they? What What's their background? Yeah, so I, you know, the um, Bioware recently released like some numbers about um, like player choices and like the kinds of paths that people tended to, to take through the series and um, a few like gaming um, articles or, or from, from like a gaming news website sort of uh, took that up and we're, we're making some judgments about like Mass Effect players and like yeah, like certain Mass Effect players being like a like a basic, you know, Mass Effect <laughs> player. And I um when it comes to uh like my character customization in Mass Effect, I, I am that guy. Um I like the default Shepard because um at the time of the original release he his model looked less like um a stack of like play-doh resembling a human face <laughs> than the other characters i tried to create um but uh yeah and then over the course of those three games um that voice and that face just sort of um like kind of connected themselves together so i tried to in this new iteration i'm like this is gonna be different i'm finally gonna make my own character and then i just couldn't i couldn't hear that voice coming from a different face so i went back and i changed it i'm so sorry (laughs) so So you use the default male shepherd is that it yeah in terms of appearance um and then uh i liked and then the backstory which i i love this because um even though you only get like a few options, like you can be like your family can be from like a colony or like you can be from earth or like you could like grow up on like a spaceship somewhere or like um, you can be a, a lone survivor or like a war hero or I forget like what the other option is, but like then they give you these little like backstory choices. So like not only do you have a different appearance, but um, you have, different a different sort of history um which i think is huge because that it's a small thing but like that fundamentally changes how characters like interact with you know about you um so i went with like um the backstory where i think that like yeah like my my family and my town were attacked by like batarian pirates or whatever and then um i uh like grew up on like a like an alliance spaceship somewhere and then um i uh also went with the uh the war hero one um because it was the the coolest sounding one and it's like the closest to i play like full paragon generally um so like that was the 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 closest in alignment to that particular playthrough but the cool thing is is then like you get a special mission you know like later in the first game depending upon what choices you made so yeah yeah, that that's my shepherd at least out of the the gate and then of course you you make changes or you make choices as you go and and that helps too but uh what what was your shepherd like uh this time around or just generally 
I don't, you know, I'm trying to remember what, what I did originally. I think I might have done War Hero as well. But this time around, I went with the colonists. So my family, my parents were part of a colony that got completely wiped out. Um, and then I joined the Alliance military and my team got attacked. I don't remember who, who we got attacked by, but they were uh, wiped out except for me. And I chose that one this time because I was like trauma. Yeah. It's like now, 15 years later, I know what it's like to, to live through trauma. So, <laughs> so I'm going to just say that I'm, you know, I've been through a lot of trauma and, and that sort of shaped who I've become. Um, and then in terms of my class, I went with Vanguard and I'm like a little, I don't know if I'm disappointed or not. So Vanguard, you only get a couple of, in the first game, you only get a couple of weapon options. And I want to say it was pistol and shotgun. Is that it? Does that sound right? I think so, yeah. It, I don't think, yeah, it wasn't sniper and I don't think it was assault rifle. Yeah. So pistol and, and shotgun is not my normal um, setup with weapons. I like to be ranged or at least like to have options. And the Vanguard is meant to be a fast, hard hitting, get in the middle of the action. Like one of its, one of the moves is you kind of zoom up to an enemy and like basically kind of shoulder them and stun them. Um, but then you're in the middle of the action. Like you just, just dropped in the middle of the action. And I didn't like that cause I always felt like I was out of control and, and I would die and stuff. So I don't know why I picked Vanguard. Well, I think I know why, because later on I liked the mix of biotic cause that's another choice you get to make is, um, so there's the, oh, what is it called? I, I didn't, I, I didn't write down the classes, but the Vanguard is a mix between biotic powers and weapons. Yeah. Then there's a soldier that's basically a, a, a weapon specialist. You yeah. can use all the weapons. You can use heavy armor. Um, and then what's the biotic adapt. specialist? Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so an, ad an adapt or an adapter. Adapt, yeah, you know, <laughs> potato, <that>. potato. <laughs> yeah, and that's where you specialize in biotic powers. Um, you can't use a lot of weapons. You can't use heavy armor. Can you? I don't even think you can use medium armor. Um, and the Vanguard, the Vanguard's kind of a mixture of both. And so I was like, that's what I went with. Um, and I think part of it was because I remember in later games, and I want to say maybe it was even Andromeda, I liked using those combos of yeah. like starting with biotic powers and then following up with weapons because you could knock people down, you could float them, you could freeze them, and then you could go about, you know, picking people off. So it didn't. Quite, it wasn't super satisfying in the first game, I will say, but it was later. Um, I think, yeah, which go ahead, sorry. Oh, you're gonna ask me which uh class I'm yeah. picking. I do think that's like a pretty noteworthy observation, which is like it's, it's good that they let you change classes at the start of each of those subsequent games because it feels like your experience with a class in one game like the first one for example could be like totally different from what you get in like two or three so like you might like you might you might want to change things up um accordingly but uh, i played once again falling into the trap of like the quote-unquote basic mass effect player i play as a soldier i liked using all the guns in my first playthrough i am um, i like oscillating between a, a sniper rifle and an assault rifle was was my go-to and I, I figure i have to use guns anyway so my thinking was always like why not make my use of those guns that i have to use like more robust like so that was my attitude but um yeah, played played that way through all three games. Um, what they did that was nice because I agree. I like the combination of like 
ammo powers and like adrenaline rush but also like biotics um what i like what they did later on is they let you include like a bonus power so like if there's like a biotics ability biotic ability that like was really really cool you could throw that onto your soldier so that you could like like throw people but also have all of your your sort of weapon centered powers so like and and that applies to all your other classes so they help you a little bit if you're like you know i wish i could dabble in this style of play a little bit more yeah for sure i I definitely appreciated that um so let's talk about the game in general like what going back to it now so first of all the first game was the most updated um they updated the graphics significantly it looks much better um what was your experience playing through this time was there anything different that stood out um what are some of your well one question at a time joey um (laughs) what was your just what was your experience in general how did you like the remaster i loved it um i know that like i think maybe some some critiques of it were that they could have done more but like i don't know i felt like they did a lot and like it, it won as you say it, it looked gorgeous like i'm like this game is like 15 years old like how is that even mm-hmm. possible um it, it becomes more clear when you go into like some of like i'm thinking of the side mission rooms and there's like you know like four canisters and like a big empty hallway oh, yeah. and you're like okay well like some of the level design <laughs> maybe is showing its age but like the the textures and everything looked great um yeah i thought i thought combat felt pretty good um I really, really, um, liked the, uh, the sort of, um, the, the changes they made to like the, even just like the Mako, like I thought that was way easier to use and to get around. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think like overall I had a really good time. Um, the, uh, the one thing I would say is that again, not from the level of like some of those technical things, like the frame rate being better, like the combat feeling a little smoother or whatever, but like certain design decisions in that first game, like I think haven't, haven't aged particularly well. And even at the time I remember being like confusing. So I think that like the, the structure of the Citadel when you first get there and like, you're just kind of wandering aimlessly. And in that time you're meant to like recruit Rex and recruit Tally and like discover yeah. Saren and like, um, you know, bust this like club owner who <laughs> like knows where Tally is. Like, I realize that a lot of that's like tied to like choice and freedom and that's great. But like, I do always think that like that section and it happens so early, like right after Eden prime, I'm like, that is, where I think so many people that I know who play Mass Effect like kind of run into trouble of like, wait, what's going on? And like, <laughs> what's this? Yeah. And you kind of have that like Kingdom Hearts one thing of you're wandering around looking for like what to do next. But um, other than that, I really, really liked it. Um, I think, yeah, like a lot of the writing holds up, um, even though like you don't get like as many different planets um, as you do in like later games. I thought that like, like places like Novaria were really cool, and like mm-hmm. um, the um, the the sort of uh, like um, other other parts of the world were were really interesting. And like I think Saren is probably among the more interesting like central antagonists that you get in the series. Um, as opposed to, I mean, like Harbinger is like cool, but also like <laughs> I don't know, like giant space 
squid you know like, yeah. <laughs> you don't you maybe don't have the same kind of relationship with them but uh no i i loved it and then obviously like things that like people loved including me like right when it came out like the big choices you make like on vermeyer and things like that like like still are cool and i think that you know what one thing that the first game does very differently like and i don't know how to articulate this but like the the music and feeling of it feels very oh, yeah. like I don't know, like science fictiony, like Star Trekky. I don't even know how to describe it, but it feel it has a very different feeling from the other two games, which kind of have like these big orchestral scores and like it feels like an epic, you know, space opera. Like and yeah, and there's something about the just the the feeling and, and sound of that first game that feels very special. But uh, what about you? What did what did you think? Yeah, I had a similar reaction. Like you said, I loved the um, the graphical updates. I, I don't want to speak for Tab, but I think the Citadel is where they fell off in part because, as you said, it was it's hard to navigate. And that's one of the things that they could have updated. Like, like you said, I try not to criticize them too much for what they didn't update because they did update a lot. And the fact that you're getting three games for the price of one, essentially, is pretty incredible. But why did they make why did they leave the map system so confusing because i don't it's it's frustrating like you said even then to have to pause to go look at the map because number one they didn't do a great job of like introducing the map and so in the citadel even though i'd played it before i would like i'm like i think this is over here hold on i have to pause it and look at the map and be like okay so i have to go go straight and then the it's so it's supposed to be sort of futuristic so it's not exactly like a grid it's like there's lots of curves and stuff so i'm like all right so i have to go straight until i hit like a pole thing and then make a left and kind of curve around and then come back toward where i am now and then go across the bridge and i have to memorize these things and i would forget i'd get over to the pole and i'd be like distracted by like looking at how cool the citadel looked which it did it's gorgeous and I'd be like, shit, wait, so I have to go back into the map and look at the map again. So I do think that they could have, it didn't bother me that much because I was used to it, but I can absolutely imagine a new player playing and being like, this is, this seems very archaic because, and the level design, like you said, I was so reminded of Knights of the Old Republic as I was playing because there's so many corridors and there's so many rooms that are just like, what is the purpose of this room? <laughs> there's like a chair and a canister. Like, is this the break room? Like what's going on? And we've seen, you know, I'd say level design and world like environmental design has come so far in the past 10 to 15 years that it does make that first game in particular feel, feel pretty dated and the second game and the third game a little, little bit, <laughs> but, um, but I did. I, I really liked it overall, and I, I forgot to mention about my character. One thing that that Bioware games have um, there have been some memes about is the character creator because the character creator in some Bioware games is really great and it allows you to make characters very detailed and make you look like yourself. And I, because the first time I played it, I made the character look like myself. This time I was determined to do the same, so I made my character look like myself. And in the editor, I'm looking at it and I'm like. All right, it's not perfect. I'm not like, not like ravishing or anything like that. But I, I look enough like myself. I look pretty good. And then my character steps into the world, and I'm like, what? Ugh, what is that? <laughs> and so, kind of like you said, I'm going through with this like this Commander Shepard voice, which is commanding and smooth and everything. <laughs> and I look like a squished baby-sized version <laughs> of myself. My head does, and so it was very distracting. But, um. But in terms of the game, like you said, there's there's a lot to it. I was surprised by how short it was. I yeah. want to say I beat it in like 15 hours or something. 
Is that was that your experience too? Yeah. Well, I um, if I had just blasted through the story, yeah, I think it would have been like fifteen hours long. I um, and I think I had heard you say this at some point, but um, I was more interested in this playthrough to explore all of like the the side sort of peripheral content that like i think in previous playthroughs i kind of like i didn't get to all the side quests or i didn't read all of the planet descriptions um and so like this time around i really committed myself to like kind of combing through everything and like yes going on like wiki articles to see like if i had gotten all of the the side quests finished and like that actually extended my playthrough significantly you know longer than it's, it's ever been for my other time to see the first game but uh yeah, that was that was sort of my experience. Did did you kind of end up doing that same thing? Yeah, I did that the first time around too though, but this time I think I appreciated it more. And not the third game I I felt a little rushed and I had gone through so many planet descriptions cuz one of the things if you haven't played it is in order so m- many of the levels are planet based, so they're different planets that you land on and Outside of that, there's something called a galaxy map. So you look at the map of the galaxy and you can go to different star systems. And in those star systems, there's different planets. Um, and you can scan them and you can get, you can land on some of them. You can get minerals. And, you know, later on, it's a big, big deal in the third game to get like resources and stuff like that. But each, each one of the planets will tell you what the planet is, what the atmosphere is. If there's any interesting things about like the gravity or, um, the surface or the history and in, especially in the first two games uh, like I said the third game I felt like they were coming up a little short in terms of some of the descriptions and I had gone through so much of it that I fell off a little bit but yeah in the first two games I was reading all of that and just really appreciating it more than I did the first time because you, you can look at Mass Effect and play through the games and there's a story there, but really the story is so much bigger than that. And it's told in all of these little stories about these planets and like how one civilization found this planet and they were going to colonize it. But then they found some ruins on the surface and they realized that it was much, there were much older beings that had once been there. And so there's like these weird little hints about the overall story of the whole trilogy about how there used to be these civilizations that were mysteriously wiped out um, because of the Reapers, because the Reapers, as we find out later, it's cyclical. So every 40 or 50,000 years, they go and harvest all of the living material, the biological material from spacefaring races in particular. uh, And then they go back into hibernation for another 40 or 50,000 years. And so, of course, once you're civilization gets the ability to travel the stars you're going around and finding all these planets and you're like oh cool i'm gonna set up a colony you're like whoa there was a civilization here and so i feel like there's this like puzzle that you can piece together by looking at all this lore that tells a much richer story about the galaxy and really fleshes it out so yeah i had a ton of fun just reading and i i was a weirdo i was reading them out loud because some of the codex entries there's a a narrator that will read them and he's become sort of famous for having this very specific voice but all the planet descriptions and stuff he doesn't so i stupidly i would go to and i'd be like you know eltros i don't know i can't think of a planet name off the top of my head but like eltros is an l-class planet blah 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 blah. um so it was a lot of reading (laughs) but yeah I, i really liked that lore and getting into 
the backgrounds of all these planets that you don't even get to land on. Like there's so much there. Well, and two background for like races that are featured in the game, but not really like kind of centered in the story, like the Elcor or the Volus, um, which, uh, you know, when we, we look ahead to future games, you know, ah, you know, yeah, yeah, maybe, yeah, time to, 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 to sort of center some of that stuff. But, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I loved it. Um, but yeah, you know, all, all things considered, I had a really fun time with the, uh, the first game. But, uh, if, 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 if we are ready, um, should we, should we dive into, uh, to two? Well, before we get, before we get to there, I want to talk about some of the decisions we made. In oh, one, yes. Oh, yes. Each, each game has like certain key critical decisions that you make that end up affecting later things. I suspect many of our decisions are going to be the same. Cause I think we were, like you said, we're both paragons. So we both go for the, the good guy kind of choices, um, and so we'll probably end up having most of the same things. But I also want to point out the fact that, like, not only was the was the first game a lot shorter than I remember, but it gets started immediately, and there's not a, an expansive list. I mean, there's an expansive list of characters that gets fleshed out later, but, like, your key group is relatively small. And in terms of romance, you can only romance, well, two people depending on yeah. your sexual preference. Um, if you're a, a, a straight male character, uh, sh- straight male shepherd like I was, you get you get to ch- the choice between Ashley Williams and um, Liara to Sony. And um, at the time, it seemed like you know because there weren't uh, wasn't a lot of romance in games at that point in time, so it felt like enough. But then you play the later games, and you're like, oh my god, I have like five choices. Like it seems in retrospect, like oh man, I only have two choices. But um, but let's start in terms of choices. Let's start there. Who did you romance? Uh, my girl Liara, all the way, all the <laughs> way through. Um, yeah, I, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I play male Shep. Um, maybe there's a world in which I would, I would have romanced Caden um, in that first game just to, to check it out. Um, which does become an option for male Shep in the third game, um, it, uncomfortably for me because I was already in a committed relationship and he was making moves on me. And I was like, Whoa, yeah, yeah, you know, you know, me and Liara are together and now we're here at lunch and yeah, I'm hearing all this, but, uh, yeah, that... I should have left you on. That <laughs> we'll talk, we'll talk about that later. Hey, that thought did cross my mind of like, Ashley, Ashley didn't ambush me at lunch like this. <laughs> um, but, uh, no, uh, yeah, I, I, it was between Ashley and Liara, and uh, yeah, Liara all the way. I, I love, I love that character. I think she's, she's great. She gets better as the series goes on, and like <sighs> Ashley, I mean, it's like it's, it's um, you know, a well known, you know, um, I guess or well discussed uh, part of the the story, but the the, the space racism is mm-hmm. is strong with uh, Ashley Williams, so I, I avoided yeah. that. What about you? Yeah, she she has very famously become uh, known as the space racist for good reason. She's so openly and like vilely xenophobic in that first game where it's not just that she's human centered because that would be different if she were like, I don't you know, I'm, I'm still getting used to which that's part of her story is she's still getting used to being around because humans were so quickly ushered into the I mean, I, I want to say that the um the first contact war which was the the war between the humans and the turians um over a human colony on a on a 
planet near a mass relay, I think. Mass relays are the, the relays that um, connect star systems. So that's how we use faster than light travel in this galaxy. And um, and so the first contact war, I think, was within the lifetime of our characters. So like they grew up in a world, they started, they were born into a world, uh, into a, a galaxy that was just humans. And then suddenly, so I, I get that there would be some like, suspicion and you're not really sure where your your race kind of falls and stuff but she it's not it doesn't end there she's con comparing some of these other races to animals and stuff and it's like that's where i'm like yeah okay that's you're you you a bitch like get out of here so <laughs> i thought for it was very clear so for me I, I chose liara as well um she's very smart and she's a little socially awkward like myself so i found that to be very charming um, and she's very naive. Like she's, I think a hundred years old at, in the mm -hmm. first game. Is that correct? Yeah. But that's very young for, um, for Asari. Like they live to be like as a thousand, a thousand. Years, yeah. yeah. So she's relatively very young and, and you see that she's a little naive, a little op optimistic. Um, but it's, it's really charming. So I, I had no, no regrets on, on romancing her. Um, so let's talk about some of the other choices. What about the Rachni Queen? So the Rachni are an insectoid uh, race or species, um, and there was a Rachni war in previous times, decades before the first game, and they almost wiped out all life in the galaxy. Uh, we won't get into that. So that's a that's a really interesting story yeah. too. How um, the Council used the Krogan, yeah. which is another spe uh, race in the game, um, to stop the Rachni invasion or the the Rachni um yeah I guess invasion of the entire galaxy uh but then they were worried about the Krogan taking over so they basically neutered them um effectively super interesting side story one of my favorite of the whole series but the Rachni were almost completely wiped out uh and you encounter a Rachni queen in captivity in the first game and you have the option to uh, I think I don't think you kill it. I think you just leave it in captivity, and it'll probably die, or maybe you do kill it. You do kill um, it. Okay, or you set it free. So did you? Again, I think I I suspect I know your answer, but <laughs> yeah, I set I set I set her free. Of course, we had a, a chat, yeah. um, you know, and I I I, I yeah, like I I didn't want to kill her, and it became clear that she was being held there against her will, and yeah, I. Yeah, I I, th I thought it was the right thing to do. Like that's heavy stuff, you know, for you to show up and end the existence of an entire species. Mm -hmm. So, yeah that that was that was my that was my take on things. What about you? I was the same, and I would love to see stats from Bioware if they had them of like what people what choices people made when they first played the trilogy back in two thousand seven, and then what um what choices they made now because i looked at those stats that you mentioned that bioware released and so many of them it seems apparent that people were trying to get like the good ending right because like overwhelmingly people made a lot of like paragon choices and like very specific choices to to get toward that like good ending so i'm i'm sure a lot of people were taking advice from friends or looking up guys which is fine no judgment um but i remember when the game first came out i saw a lot of people saying no, I didn't free the Rachni Queen. Are you crazy? Because it's an unpopular decision in the game. Everyone judges you yeah. for it. They're like, you weren't around with the Rachni War, so like, what are you doing? Like, you might have just doomed us because she's gonna go breed and have 
billions upon billions of babies and they're going to like take over the galaxy. So you're judged for it in the game. And at the end of the first game, you don't really know if it's a smart decision or not. Um, but I'm an animal lover. And like you said, I had this conversation with her and she was like, I didn't want to do that. Like that was basically forced into it. Uh, and I trusted her and I, I freed her as well. So that was, that was that Rex as another decision. So you have a choice, um, to kill Rex. Rex threatens, um, who does he threaten on the beach? Is it Ashley? No, it's, it's you. He gets really upset. Oh, um, he gets really upset about, um, obviously this idea of stopping Saren, who's trying to cure the genophage, but for all the wrong reasons, um, because he wants like a Krogan army or whatever. Um, and yeah, and and things get heated between you and Rex, but it's actually <laughs> man, she's back again. It's Ashley Williams, <laughs> just off the distance, locked and loaded. <laughs> if if Rex gets a little too irritated, she just <laughs> takes him yeah. out. Um, yeah. So I um yeah I this one seems less because yeah at the time um you know now that the entire trilogy is out there and you can see that the the consequences for freeing the Rakuai queen i think a lot more people um kind of jumped on that um or, or have have made decisions that maybe they want of when it was originally released and you didn't really know what would happen but like with the rex one like playing paragon like especially it that one felt pretty straightforward i'm just like hit the blue <laughs> options yeah. until everything's okay um i don't know if that was your experience it was, yeah, because I, I liked Rex, Rex a lot, and I understood his frustration. Like, yeah. the genophage is, is is the previously mentioned um, neutering of an entire species or entire race of the Krogans, of which Rex belongs, and they are bitter about it. They're like, we've been denied a future, and it's a complicated mess because at the time they were starting to takeover planet so you could sort of understand some kind of drastic measure being taken but what a dark and and ethically questionable at the very least uh decision because you're you're dooming people who haven't even had the chance to make the choice they haven't even been born yet so um i it, it never sat right with me and so like i didn't know that there was a solution but i didn't blame rex at all like yeah. even the first time i played it i was like you should be angry. Yeah. I, I don't think it should be directed at me. I would like to help you, but but yeah, so I, I also saved him. And then of course the big decision at the very end of the game, as we've alluded to already, is do you save the council? Oh, one, or be, do you... one before that though. On oh, what am I missing? Caden or Ashley, of course. Oh yeah. Lord, yes. Oh yeah. Okay. So um there's a, a, a station that's being I don't remember what the what the emergency is, but um, you have to go and help them evacuate and you have to leave behind one of your crewmate and it's either Ashley Williams or Caden Alenko. And um, the choice to whoever you leave behind is is going to die and they're just gone from the entire series. Um, and so you're, you're left to choose between Caden and Ashley. Who did you choose in your first playthrough back in... 2007. I saved, Who did you I saved Ashley in my first okay. playthrough. And what about this time? <laughs> <laughs> so this time I was like, I in all of my previous playthroughs, even though, you know, 
I, I completely am on board with all of the, the criticism about Ashley. I was saving her over and over again. So this time yeah. I was like, you know what? Like, this is going to be a major departure. So I saved Caden. Um, oh, man. What a <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> what a mistake. <laughs> He's so boring. Oh, no. Yeah, no, I did. I did save him because like it's not a it's not space racism may be a crime but being boring i guess isn't <laughs> is worse <laughs> what what a <laughs> unforgivable sin i know i know racism okay we, we we get it everyone's a little racist i'm i'm just kidding obviously but um i i see i did the opposite the first time i played it i i left ashley because she was racist and i kept thinking i was trying to think practically i was like she's going to get me into trouble. Like she's so racist and she doesn't seem to have any remorse or regret about it or any, like she's not doing any critical thinking. And I was like, I guess maybe the more we fight alongside these different like alien races, she'll come on board. But I was like, I can't guarantee that. So I left her behind and I saved Caden. And later I was like, I feel like Ashley would have been more exciting because Caden is such a boring blank (laughs) salt of a character. Like he's just so so bland um and so this time i i saved ashley because not only because i was like she's gonna i i it'll be a new thing for me i've never played the rest of the game games with her but also because i had heard from so many people that she gets better like there are ashley stands out there who aren't like apologists for her space racism but are like she has an arc and she she gets better and if you've listened to the podcast you know that i'm a sucker for that because i went for that with Haley and stardew stardew valley um and i know there's an, another character i did that with where they start out really bad and i'm like i'll i'll give them a chance and so i was like i'll i'll give her a chance like maybe she'll she'll get better like people say so i saved ashley uh this time around um but as far as the council goes, so the, again, the council, the entire game is giving you shit, making your life hard. They don't believe you. They don't respect you. Um, and then at the end of the game, the Citadel, where the council is stationed, is being attacked. And uh, you have the option to command human forces to save the council at the cost of many human lives and ships. Or you can save the human ships and lives and sacrifice the council. So um, what did you do? And did you do that also in the first time, the first playthrough? Yeah, so I saved the council consistently throughout. Um, It just seemed like the right thing to do, Um, even though it is an incredibly hard choice, just because I think that like protecting, you know, that sort of leadership and like you know, that, that sort of governing structure in the galaxy was really important. Um, and I also felt like, you know, like that, that sort of act was really important on behalf of like humanity, right. To kind of like illustrate their, their, their sort of commitment to the galactic community. Um, right. Um, and, and, and in a sort of non-selfish way, um, obviously there's like the, like the Odina commitment of like, give me more power please i would enjoy yeah being on the council and doing all these things um so like that that felt right to me um that was a tough decision what did you do um your your first couple times i as you said i saved the council both times i was unhappy about it both times because you know the council is just 
so <laughs> corrupt is, and yeah. political that like I had so little reason. But as you said, I'm trying to play Paragon and I'm trying to play someone who I really liked um, Captain Anderson. And I was like, I know that this is the choice Captain Anderson would probably make. Um, he seems like a very good, smart guy. So like I'm a part, I it, regardless of whether or not I want to be, I'm a part of the Alliance Navy um, and now I'm the first human specter, so I'm this ambassador for humanity. So, like you said, I was like, if I sacrifice the council, what kind of impression does that make? It confirms all the suspicions that a lot of these alien races have of us, which is we're power hungry, we're moving too fast, we just want, we're selfish, we're very, like, you know, human-centered. And so I was like, no, 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 we're team players, we want to... And we'll get into whether or not we regret the decision later, but <laughs> <laughs> but I did I did save them. And then the last choice I forgot to mention, it, I think it's right at the end of the first game, when you save the console, they say, okay, okay, so you saved us. You get to nominate a human to be a part of the console. Uh, again, I suspect I know what you chose, but who did you choose between Counselor Udina and Captain Anderson? Yeah, it's like my best friend who's super responsible and like has this great track record of being a great leader and who's kind of by the way throughout the first game sort of um sort of like kicked to the curb because of like politics right he loses his ship or whatever and or i can choose like udina who's like a jerk and doesn't believe me <laughs> and is like this this sort of slimy politician character who's willing to do whatever to whoever to get power so as tough as that was <laughs> for me to, to choose i did choose uh, captain anderson at the end um and that that felt good and right uh, but what about you yeah I did the same, same exact reasons. I didn't see it. The only the only thing that might have held me back was that Anderson seems to want it less. Like Anderson yeah. thinks that it's important, and I know that he would take it seriously, but he seems to be a military guy. Like he wants to be out in the field and helping and everything like that. So I don't think that he'll enjoy being the first human counselor, but I think that he will make the smart choices. Whereas Odina, even in the scope of the first game, absolutely shows how manipulative and and um i mean the, really the whole series is an indictment of politics i think there's so much um seedy immoral choices that that happen and politicians are just terrible people in these games um so yeah it was it was a very clear choice for me i also want to comment on i'm a little bit confused about these ranking these ra like ranks in the in the alliance navy because you're commander shepherd that's your rank you're a commander right and then you take over the ship you take over the normandy but you're not captain shepherd you're still commander shepherd for some reason you don't get a rank increase and you become the first human specter so i'm like maybe that's why because now you're more of like the specter rather than the commander um but you never change ranks ever <laughs> like even when you're not in the the alliance navy anymore people are still like commander shepherd i'm like what's what going on yeah i don't there might be a good like in-universe explanation for it i think my suspicions are just that commander shepherd sounds really cool <laughs> and it so does, they yeah. just they just never changed it um across the three games but listeners if you have an explanation uh right right in <laughs> yeah absolutely uh pretty pixels podcast. i almost said the the email address of a popular podcast that i listen to because they say it pretty often but pretty pixels podcast at gmail.com um 
but I'm sure there is. There's so much. I don't. I've never even really gotten into too much of the expanded lore for the the series. But um, okay, so I think that wraps up the first game. So let's move on to Mass Effect Two, which was came out three years later in 2010. Um, one of the most striking openings of any game ever, I would say. One of the best, in my opinion. Um, but the game opens with the Normandy being under attack by an unknown ship, this massive, powerful ship. Uh, most of the crew is able to evacuate into escape pods. And just as you, as Shepard, is ushering Joker, the pilot, into an escape pod, uh, the ship is torn apart by this mysterious ship. And um, Shepard is, you know, puts on a spacesuit and is trying to escape, but eventually is ejected into space. Um, there's a tear in your suit, so you end up dying and just kind of floating off toward a, an unknown planet. And that's how the game opens, is you die. With that your beautiful ship is destroyed. Like, piano score playing the yeah. like, Mass Effect 2. Oh, right, and oh. it's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you, you spend the whole game building up your crew and your ship, and you're so like, yeah, here we go. And you start the game, and they're like, fuck you. <laughs> just wipe all of that out. Um, but then you're resurrected by the elusive man, who's the leader of a group called Cerberus, who you run into in the first game. And in the first game, they're pretty minor, but you get the sense that they're a sort of shadowy organization, mafia type group. They work behind the scenes. They're not concerned with law or anything like that. They're very human focused. They want to, they want to advance human humanity's interest, no matter what, at any costs, um, so this happens to be the person who recovers your body from the orbit of this planet, uh, and resurrects you, um, gives you a bigger, shinier, more upgradable ship, the, uh, Normandy SR2, and it tells you that you need to put a team together to investigate and stop the collectors, a new foe, a new group of people. Oh shit. We forgot a thing at the end of, hold on, let me finish the, okay. Who <laughs> the collectors who, as it turns out, are being controlled by the Reapers, um, and being used uh, basically to um, prepare to kind of soften up the galaxy to make way for the Reaper invasion. Um, so the most of most of the game of Mass Effect Two is you collecting your crew and then eventually executing a suicide mission against the collectors um, to stop whatever they're doing, which ends up being making a giant creepy human, human Reaper. Reaper hybrid. Yeah, but. I forgot. So at the end of Mass Effect 1, um, you face Saren, who, again, the, the primary antagonist of the game, um, great villain, and he, he dies no matter what. But you have the choice to either just outright kill him or talk him into committing suicide. Um, <laughs> did you... <laughs> Much, much better, yeah. <laughs> to, be, to be fair to them, it's like, he he, he lands on that decision. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, okay, like, yeah, that's true. It's not, you're like, do it, do it. I would feel so you much. You should just kill yourself. Like, you're like a mean girl. Yeah. Look at your body. It's not even a body anymore. Yeah, you're taken over by the... Bully, Saren. Yeah. <laughs> um. But did you, which one did you choose? Because I do feel like that's an important choice. I don't know that it affects very much, but I think it says a lot about, I think it exposes a lot about Saren if you take that, the conversational route. Yeah, it's way more interesting. And uh, yeah, I I kind of, every opportunity, I I tried to sort of like reason with him throughout the game. And then it works, you know, eventually. Yeah. Like, unfortunately, then like his, his like Reaper 
parts and his body like reanimate his corpse and you have to fight that but like yeah yeah but no i love that um any opportunity to not kind of have to the mass effect one like sort of shoehorns you into it anyways but like have to fall into like that final boss trap is really cool it reminded me a little bit of like um have you played the witcher 2 at all Mm -mm. so okay do you mind if uh do you mind a slight spoiler okay no go ahead yeah all right and and sorry for anyone um who 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 doesn't want to hear this so just skip ahead like a minute but like um (laughs) (laughs) but yeah the the you're basically you're framed for murder by this other witcher um and and then sort of he kind of leaves you to your own devices and you end up chasing him through kind of a lot of the game but like you confront him at the end um and all this other stuff has happened and you can either like duke it out and have this big fight or you can like kind of talk to him and have like this really extended conversation about the two of you and like why he did what he did and like all that stuff and yeah and through that like you both being witchers you both being sort of characters who have had these these crazy experiences in the game like there is an opportunity to like find common ground um and for like the, the again your relationship with like one of the primary antagonists in the game to be resolved that way and yeah, I don't know. The fact that the first Mass Effect did that with Saren, I thought was just so cool. Yeah, I thought it made him so much deeper and more complex as a villain because it did add sympathy. I felt bad. I didn't, like most of the game, I was like, kill this asshole, this motherfucker. And then right at the last second, I was like, shit. Like, he's he has been been mind controlled and he wakes up to it. He realizes it and like how fucking tragic tragic he was a great specter he had done great things and so um i think it also puts you in a place where you're like well what if that was me you know what i mean and they toy with this later in the series but like what if i'm being controlled by not just you know the reapers um but by other forces like am i really making the decisions and i think it's like a whole meta commentary thing but i really liked that route and i i like what it does to Sarium because it makes him so much more complex again than just a straight up like oh the villain trying to destroy the galaxy kind of thing so so i did like that but but i wanted to touch on that just because just to make clear again if you haven't played the games that Saren, this great villain is out of the picture now we have the collectors who are a lot more borg like um if you've watched star trek so they're this kind of uh um, I'm trying to I'm struggling to think of the word like hive mind hive mind. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. Um, and they, they eventually you find out again that they're working for the Reapers. Um, they're, they also are, I don't think I don't, if I remember correctly, don't realize they're being manipulated, um, but they're being used and mostly to collect uh, again, organic um, recruits uh, humans particularly. And so that's why Cerberus and the elusive man, um, want to figure out what they're trying to do and stop them because they're they're taking over and uh, basically abducting humans from all these different colonies across the galaxy. So and the council isn't becomes, doing anything about it, which of course, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, which, they, and they still don't believe you. Yeah. <laughs> I was so mad. I'm like, I just fucking saved your life, and like, how many things that I told you came true? Every I have all this evidence, and you're still like. Mm, no i'm back from the dead (laughs) a a reaper fucking ship flew into the middle of the citadel you dumb sons of bitches you have pieces of it Ah. that was but i I felt like stuff like that was great because they 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 took 
your expectation of like, I'm going to be in the same ship, with my same crew and do the same things. And they were like, no, in fact, you're a part of this organization yeah. Cerberus that your crew hates. And so you have to start all over from the beginning. And so I thought it was sort of a, a very clever way of making it seem like a brand new game. You're continuing the story. It's still your character, but uh, you feel like you're playing a whole new game. You have to build a whole new, whole new crew. You start out with just two teammates, Miranda Lawson and Jacob Taylor. Um, and you get this new ship and you start, you know, being introduced to new characters and, and things like that. But um, some of your old teammates you run into and some of them are a little bit more understanding of your position. Some of them are not like Ashley Williams and Caden Alenko. So you meet up with them pretty early in the game. And it's, it is sort of a, almost like a sweet homecoming. Cause you're like, Oh, a familiar face, like great. And I honestly had forgotten that you don't get the character. So I'm sort of thinking I'm going to recruit my old friend, my old racist friend, Ashley, <laughs> get her back on the ship and she's like get the fuck out of here i hate you you're working for cerberus and i'm like what the fuck i saved your life and now you don't believe me that i'm just working because they you know i like what what other choice do i have like the the alliance navy still you know the citadel or the council doesn't believe me and um i'm trying to save people so like i'm using them for their resources and everything so um, so yeah, so you start out having to build this new crew and you do end up eventually getting some of your old teammates back, but, um, you kind of start from a little bit of a blank slate. So, um, I do, before we get into just our general feelings about it, I want to talk about the crew because it's something I didn't really mention with the first game, but they have some incredible voice actors. Um, Captain Anderson is played by Keith David, who has become pretty famous for his voice acting, but he's also... Hollywood actor Joker, your pilot, is played by Seth Green, very famous for Robot Chicken, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, all kinds of things. He's very funny. Admiral Hackett, played by Lance Henriksen, who's done, um, I think he was an alien. He's done a bunch of stuff. Um, but they have these big voice actors. And in fact, Miranda Lawson, your first sidekick, is played by Yvonne Strahovski. I think that's how you say it, who was in a show that I didn't watch, but was pretty popular. Chuck. Did you watch it? Okay, yeah. Chuck, thank you, yeah. Um, and they modeled her character after her, too, which I thought was pretty cool. The Elusive Man, Martin modeled Sheen. after and voiced by Martin Sheen. Um, Trinity? Zaid, Tri oh, yes, yeah. Um, oh, God, what is her she name? She plays Arya, um, but yeah. the actress's name is totally escaped. Carrie Ann Moss. Yeah, Moss, yes, yeah. yes. Um, and then Zaid Masani, played by Robin Sachs, a very famous voice actor, who I also thought was an alien, but I looked it up and he wasn't. He was in some other sci-fi thing. Um, but yeah, these great voice actors. And more than that, like there's all these side characters are played by, um, I'm, his name slipping my mind also, but um, the guy who played uh, um, Worf in Star Trek plays a couple of, uh, at least one character. Um, but yeah, these these great voice actors and this great cast of characters, particularly in two. Yeah. I really liked the cast of characters in two. So let's maybe start there. So um, who are some of your favorite characters in, in two? Because we've got Kelly Chambers, who's a little bit of a minor character, but we got Jacob and Miranda. We talked about Edie. Um, Morden is a, awesome. a huge fan favorite. Um, Jack, Grunt, Thane, Samara. I, I could go on, but... But who's who are some of your favorite characters from this one? Yeah, I I love 
Morden's. It's like, who do I not love in that that lineup? Like everyone's so strong, and I I just want to talk about all of them. But yeah, yeah. Um, Legion I think is a really important um character and such an interesting character coming off of the first game where. Like you have like sort of inklings in the lore and, you know, things you're encountering that are more like peripheral material um, that the Geth are like kind of complicated and really interesting and have this really complicated past of the Quarians. But like meeting Legion, I think, just totally throws your experience of the, the, the first game like on its head and like you learn how interesting the Geth are and like how complicated they are and like what their point of view is both in their connection with the reapers but also yeah like their their history with the quarian people which um you know that becomes even more um important in the second game when you start you know when tally becomes an even bigger character and you start to you know dive into her like um relationship with like the migrant fleet and her father and like her loyalty mission so legion's great um Thane, like so cool like you know like um he by the way too like i was thinking about like mass effect 2 has a real like kurosawa like seven samurai feel to it like he thane seems like a character like straight out of like that movie like he's just like a badass assassin who is like um and it also introduces you to like the drell which are a really interesting sort of race and yeah, I, I love them. Um, and yeah, and I love all the stuff they did with like returning characters like Garrus, I think, had such mm-hmm. an interesting story between one and two. Liara, even though she's just in the DLC, like she changes so much as well. Um, yeah, I think sorry to interrupt, but I do think that I, I loved that the DLC is integrated just straight into the games this time because... I didn't play a lot of it my first time through. I only played a few. I think I played the first two for the first game and I was a little disappointed by them. So I just kind of held off and didn't really do them for the rest of the games, but they just feel like they're a part of the game now. And so like with Liara, I I didn't even feel like she was part of the DLC. I just felt like she was in the game, but maybe not a central part of it. So I really, I really liked that. Um, I also really liked the character design of the drill. You mentioned them. They just are one of the more unique and interesting looking um races and the graphics for a lot of the the so it would cut to like my character which again looked like a lump of clay thrown it thrown against the refrigerator or something but like the the facial and like facial animations and character designs on these um different aliens uh races in particular were just gorgeous and i love the drill they have such a cool design um legion i want to go back to that really quick because legion was also one of my favorites and that story, which does that conclude in two or three? The um, Geth and Quarian. Three. The Ranok okay, so, mission is the big uh, finale. Yeah. So I'll hold off on my my commentary about how that concludes until the third game. But I love so the Geth and so the Geth is a a race. I would call it a race now because yeah. they're fully sentient. A race of um, synthetics. Yeah. Synthetic, yeah, beings. Uh, who are also of a hive mind and communicate with each other as a whole, but they also do have some individuality. There's it's hinted at later, um, kind of like the clones, maybe a little bit in the Clone Wars, but um, but they were created by the Quarians, um, and this reminded me so much of Blade Runner. And the reason I want to bring it up is because 
if you love science fiction, which I I love science fiction, but I'm not going to claim to be like the biggest, most hardcore fan. But if you're a big enough fan that you've experienced many of the big ones, Star Trek, Star Wars, Blade Runner, things like that, you notice elements from all of them throughout. Um, and the Geth and Quarian War reminded me so much of Blade Runner because one of the central conflicts in Blade Runner is the same thing as we created these androids to work to like mine for us and to be to work in these dangerous conditions um and then they gained a consciousness and they they were like what like why what is what is our what is the point of our existence and why are we beholden to you and human the human response and in, in this case the quarian response was just shut up and do what i tell you and then there was a whole war and in blade runner it turns out that you're like they're tracking these things down and trying to kill them but um in Mass Effect, the uh, the Geth and the Quarians um, engaged in a massive war, and essentially the Geth won. They chased the Quarians off their home world, um, and now the Quarians are a part of the flotilla, which is just a huge fleet of ships that are sort of interconnected. Um, and I loved that backstory, and it's so deep and rich, and it's not even part of the main plot of the game, really. Well, well, it is a little bit, but it has its own side mission, as we'll talk about later. Um, but yeah, Legion is your way in to understanding a lot of the Geth's point of view, because you get so much of the backstory in that starting in the first game, but it's all very, it's framed by the Quarian experience, which is we're victims and we lost our home world. And, you know, it's easy to be very sympathetic to that, especially because it's coming from Tally, one of your team members who you again uh get in mass effect 2 um but and is a romance option in mass effect 2 i should point that out too um but then you get legion and you hear the geth perspective and it's like well this is a lot less clear than it seemed so i really like legion for that um i love that he has part of the n7 the original n7 um ship as has his like armor he like took a part of it and you question him about it and he's like oh that's just a i just picked it up or whatever and it's like mm-hmm, a little suspicious <laughs> there but um but yeah sorry i i interrupted uh what are some other characters that stood out uh, stood out to you i think yeah like i, I my, my answer is like just generally that i, I love them mm-hmm. all but like samara i think is so amazing um she has one of the like the the coolest like loyalty missions like looking for her daughter morinth um, in the Arctic Yakshi, like, and that's so cool. I think Morden, I mentioned him earlier, but how interesting of a character he is, like, how he lets you into some of the the complexities of, like, the genophage and, like, you know, this, this mass sterilization and how, you know, you respond to him, you know, and, and sort of how your relationship with him is sort of, it allows you to explore that bigger issue and that bigger history, but it's also on like a very relatable emotional like level. Cause it's done through this relationship with a character, but I love like that aspect of him. But I also like, it's again, it's, it's a Bioware creating these characters that have all these different facets. And like, he's on one hand, like this very like serious, intense scientist who's a part of like this very questionable history, but he also likes he loves Gilbert and Sullivan and like, you know, and like does and is like a very funny character as well and like, you know, very likable in that sense too. And uh yeah, and and just sort of 
their their bioware magic and i feel like each character has all those different um facets to them and uh yeah and then like even the the, the dlc characters like zaid is is cool and like kasumi is is kind of fun and interesting and yeah i I love that. And uh, I have a, a point in general about how the characters work in the game, but do you have any particular favorites before we, we maybe dive into that? I, so many, like you said, I loved Edie um, a whole lot. Yes. I love Mor- Morden's arc, his story arc, like regardless of what you think of him as a character, like part of your team, his story is just so, and we'll, we'll touch on it in Mass Effect 3 as well, but his arc is probably one of the most satisfying in terms of how how he changes i mean he starts out like you said as this very logic driven a very stereotypical scientist he's putting science first and logic first and you you do all of the variables and you do the math in your head and that's the that's the solution and that's it there's no questioning it um but then you you do these missions and Three in particular. It's three in particular, right? That his story comes to well, a conclusion. Yeah, but the mission with um, his assistant Malin and two is like that is important two? shift, right? Okay. Where he's like, he sees what the research and actually did to like these Krogan women and how desperate they yeah. were to. Right, because he what it, what it is is his assistant, his former assistant who didn't agree with the genophage, agrees to work with the Krogan to try to cure it, and Morden, when you bring him with you on this mission, he sees essentially the torture that they had to go through to test some of these solutions and he thinks it's atrocious like why would you do this to these people but you find out that they absolutely willingly did it and their numbers particularly krogan females are so small um and so one krogan female is just incredibly valuable in terms of breeding potential at least that's how they talk about it in the game and so for them to sacrifice themselves just for a possible slim chance to cure the genophage really shakes Morden and changes who he is and changes his his ability to empathize with um, and to add empathy to that logic and making his decisions. So, yeah, I really I really love his arc. Kasumi, I didn't play her my first playthrough. I loved her so much. I wanted more of her. I'm like, damn it. I found out she was supposed to be a main character, one of your core um, shipmates. And she was meant to be Shepard's best friend. Like they wanted another female character um, for you where it wasn't necessarily a romance option. And so she was meant to be like your best friend character. And I was like, I would have loved that. I loved her so much. She was so charming and funny and irreverent and... I loved her missions. That's again, I'd never done them before, but like they're very like James Bond esque and you go to this like gambling. It's not a casino, I don't think, but it's like it's gambling. It's like, like it's like a mansion games. of like this like bad, like arms dealer or something. Right. Donovan Hawk, I think his name yeah. is. <laughs> that sounds right. Yeah. And you go down into the basement, like you break in with, with her. So she's like helping you break in you break into the basement and there's like, the head of the Statue of Liberty, Statue of Liberty, and like they, there's a whole story about how about how it got destroyed, and all these like ancient artifacts from like Earth and other planets. Um, and so I loved those missions. I loved her. I loved going in and just checking in with her. That's one of my favorite things in these yeah. games is like walking around your ship and just talking to your teammates. And so I loved just going in and, ch- and she would have some like gossip. She loved to gossip. She'd be like, "Ooh, I heard these people are flirting," or like, "Oh, you went on a date with this person," and so. 
I really liked her. Samara, you bring her up. I didn't appreciate her the first time I played. And in fact, when you go on the suicide mission, she died um, for, for me the first time I played through it. And I didn't remember feeling all that sad. But playing through it this time, I have a very different appreciation for her because she reminds me a little bit of Lady Dimitrescu from, from <laughs> a Resident Evil village. She's very powerful and imposing and her and she's so confident that there's like a sexuality about her that's like unspoken and so one of the things about the romance options in the second game is there's a lot of them and unfortunately in many cases you have to turn them down because they are attracted to you seemingly no matter what and so like i remember when samara made a pass at me in the game i was like no i'm sorry like no mommy like i i just felt very i was like it was that whole again the lady d thing where i'm like step on me you're so powerful and sexy but um but i didn't i didn't end up going with her but before i jump from there to the romance because that seems like a, a logical jump you said you had some comments about like how the characters worked in general so what what were you thinking yeah yeah so um what i would say is samara like you can kind of romance her but not really because she ends up deciding like the justicar code is like the most important thing to her which oh. forbids romance which yeah so she would have she would have just broken your heart anyways joey so oh, yeah. damn <laughs> crisis averted um yeah dodged dodged a very sexy bullet there yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she would have just uh, stepped on you <laughs> in, in the way you, you would walked away yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but no i think one thing that is huge and special about the second game is um kind of ahead of our um discussion of the ending of the third game i mentioned that one of my frustrations is that um so many of your 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 these central characters are are absent um from it and like that's huge because like i think what people love about the series and when the series is best is when you're like you know diving into those those relationships and building those relationships between these characters and what the story structure of the second game does is it, it builds itself out of these particular characters and your relationships with them so like the vast majority of the missions in the second game are either recruitment missions where you're entering into these worlds and you're meeting these characters or loyalty missions where you're kind of like diving into some aspect of their past or their culture or their or their family or whatever it happens to be and you're learning about them and and you're making these decisions and you're by extension you're learning about the world you're learning about tally's father and the quarians like brutal experiments on the gath and you're learning about like um you know like like miranda and her history with cerberus and like her father and you're learning about like morden and the genophage but you're also you're doing that like again through character and you're having these great character moments and um that i think was such a powerful way of building the game and like and structuring the story because i cared about all of it and then all of that like connection building into the suicide mission it's such a brilliant switch where it's only like yes good get to know everybody and like you want to learn more about them and you're getting closer and closer and you're romancing and now any one of them could die (laughs) whoa like you know it's it i thought it was structured so well so like I just think this second game out of the the trilogy just like 
does that so well and, and arguably better than either of the other ones in the game. And I was wondering before we, we get to romance um, options, which uh, of course I, I have to talk about. Um, and it, actually <laughs> the second game is kind of tricky um, for, for me in particular. Um, me too. Yeah, yes. <laughs> but uh, did you have like a, a favorite mission or like a loyalty mission that you really liked? I liked so many of them. I mean, I, I what I liked about them is that, as you said, the recruitment missions, um, or in the case of like Miranda and Jacob, they're already recruited. Um, but they, there's a lot of setup with them before uh, you don't have to recruit them, but there's a lot of like setup for them. But so much of that was like, kind of setting these characters up and then their loyalty missions were in some ways challenging what they had set up which i really liked and making them all more complicated more well-rounded characters um i loved ta- uh, tally's ta- i keep saying tally or tally tally right yeah tally tally yeah um tally zora i love tally's i love most of tally's stuff i love tally as a character um, she's probably my favorite, if not, you know, yeah, probably my favorite character out of all the the side characters. And so um, her side mission is you go back to the flotilla. She's called back and she's held for treason for helping. Um, ar- what they argue is that she's helping the um, the Geth in part because she was like researching them. I don't remember what their specific accusations were, um, but you brought- basically... Oh, that's right. She brought a bunch of get uh, technology back for her father to study. Um, and people were like, well, those, you know, a ship shows up with Geth on it and they attack. And so they were like, oh, the Geth, you like led the Geth here or something like that. So and so you it's essentially this like, ju- like, um, I don't say crime procedural, but like, but like you a court basically, procedural, you're like defending a her, court. Yeah. yeah, that's yeah. You have to like help her and, and there's several different ways that that could play out. She could be convicted. She could be, um, exiled. You can clear everything up and have them pardon her, which is what I did. Uh, but I really liked that one. Um, I liked legions. Of course, Kasumi's was fun. As I already mentioned, that's the one where you go on the heist um, Jax, I think, is terrible and sad, but again, gives gives a lot of backstory for her. Um, I just I liked a lot of the gr- grunts, Garrises. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm just naming all of them, but um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I liked most of them. I think the standouts for me were Tallies, Legions. I loved Kasumi's. It was very fun. It didn't do a lot to add to her character, but again, partially because they they ended up not making her a primary character. I love Zaid's. Zaid is a fun character, like you said. Um, but what were some of your favorites? Yeah, I think the Tali one has to be ranked at the top, just because yeah. it um she was already one of like my favorite characters in the first game, but I to me it just feels like in the second game they really upped the ante. Like I loved her as a character in that game, and I also loved her her stories in that game, um, and, and how it, it fleshed out like the the Quarry and Geth um stuff but yeah that entire mission of like as you say it it blends like the great like with the court proceeding like the great like conversation mechanics and mass effect with like the 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 drama of the Corian fleet and then it's not just about proving her innocence which like you you know you hear from her over and over again she's like i would never bring active gath like on into the the flotilla and like that would i would never do that that'd be way too dangerous and i've left 
parts that were really great um, behind to avoid doing that. But then you find out that her father is the one who's like really doing this. Um, And then that's what makes that final part of it so great because like, unless you're, you know, like an ace paragon like me or Joey who managed to, (laughs) you know, just with rhetoric alone, you know, kind of win the day. Um, And actually also talking to the admirals ahead of time um, before you go onto the ship, you can kind of like, you, what you end up learning from talking to them is like, oh, this doesn't really have anything to do with Tally's aura. It's just right. we want an excuse to like essentially retake our home world and like go after the Geth. And, you know, Tally's just in the way, you know. And, right. Um, but yeah, but then you find out that her, her father did all this. So then you're faced with this difficult choice of like, do I fight for her innocence knowing that the best evidence I have when like basically me be me revealing her father's guilt or do i respect that she doesn't want that to happen and then just kind of let her be falsely accused so like awesome mission huge implications super cool um i also though i big shout out to like um the the samara loyalty mission where you're kind of like luring out morinth and it's like this cool like detective noir thing of like you're you're going to like one of the victim's houses and you're investigating your room and then you go to a nightclub and you can like, you have to attract your attention so you can like do the shepherd dance or like, you know, like, um, like Ooh, do you, do you find this alluring or, yeah. or like buy drinks for in there, like get in a fight. Um, yeah. Yeah. So like th- there are just a ton of cool options like that. And I like that there really isn't any combat in that mission. It's all like built off of the, the dialogue system, um, which I just think is like a nice change of pace. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, the, the, like Legion of course and, and Morden's cause I think again, like that his transformation to character is so great. Um, but then like grunt, I'm going to name grunt. every single one. Um, where you fight the thresher mall. Like that was cool. Oh Yeah. Yeah, and Grant is one of those characters that is so underappreciated. Like, he's usually at the bottom of the... You read, like, people will be like, all of the Mass Effect uh, teammates ranked or whatever, and um, he's usually pretty close to the bottom. And I get that. His first impression is, you know, leaves a lot to be desired, but I very much appreciated him after, and I liked that sense of him finding family in the Krogans on their home planet like that was very touching so I did also I I liked that one as well um I like Miranda's Miranda also I think again a lot of their their loyalty missions are flipping your initial impression of them except for Jacob Jacob ended up being a little bit of a a Caden for me a little bit of a boring (laughs) character he seemed like he's like starts out he's supposed to be like maybe they wanted him to be your best friend character eventually because he seems like he's supposed to be a little bit more like on your side like he's like a hey, shepherd um but he just ends up being boring and like <laughs> i just eventually i'm like all right well because he, I, yeah i just i'll just leave it there but miranda is again sort of like grunt and morden in the sense that she starts out one way she's very sort of loyal to cerberus and her backstory is complicated from the beginning she talks about being essentially being a clone and being genetically modified, you know, be, you know, prior to birth to be this perfect person, very intelligent, highly skilled, physically beautiful and perfect and all these things. Um, but she's having to struggle with that. And then eventually we find out about her sister in the third game, which is a very cool story. But um, I, I 
really ended up liking her especially in between like two and three like her later missions and tears her loyalty mission in two and then going into um kind of ultimately what happens but it does touch on something that i kind of had a problem with i love like you said the the way that so much of the second game is based around these relationships and these characters and essentially that's the core of the game it's not the ultimate conflict it's not yet oh another this you know formless enemy that you have to stop because it is like if you look at all three games they're all like this faceless enemy coming from beyond trying to harvest people and collect people and invade and you have to stop them that does end up happening you could boil all three games down to that but the second one that's a distant second to putting together your team bonding with them and making sure that they survive that suicide mission that's the real conflict after the suicide mission, yes, you go out, you go on to fight this massively creepy giant robot baby thing. But like, you know, before then, like, who cares about, I don't remember that. Like, I didn't remember that fight. That's not the big deal. The big deal is that suicide mission. So I do love that. However, I will say that one of the things that, and this is a little bit of an over kind of a zooming out kind of comment, but like the second game I should probably save this for the third game, but I've already started it. So the second game, you start out, and there's all of this reasoning behind why you've lost your crew. You yeah. know what I mean? You died. You're part of Cerberus now, so a lot of them don't trust you. Some of them do. You get to recruit Tally and um, Garrus. Uh, and is that it? Is that your only thing? I think that's it, right? Or Well, yeah, because Liara is there, but Wait, and in, she helps in you. In the third game or which? In the second game. Oh, so... Uh, of your former crew, like who's there? Yeah, yeah it's Liara, Garrus, Tali, um, and yeah, then Gainer, Ashley, but they're like, nah. Right, they're like, nah, Rex is off doing his own thing. Oh, well, so. yeah, well, he's a, uh, he, his is, I, that's the one I can get behind where he's like, yeah, he actually became like a leader, and you're like, yeah. oh my gosh, you're clan leader. Like, that's so cool. Yeah. Okay. Thank you for mentioning that. Cause let me, let me dig, let me interrupt myself by saying that like, I loved that moment where you land on their planet, which I'm forgetting the name. Tachanka. Tachanka. Thank you. There's such a, like, how did I forget that? But like I, you walk up to him and he, the, when he says shepherd, he says it so warmly. And in the first game, you have a little bit of a contentious, a little bit of a strained relationship, but you, you like respect each other. And me again, as the character that I'm role playing, had great empathy for him and his people's plight. And so when he wasn't a part and he was like not interested in joining my crews off doing his own thing, I was a little sad, but I was like, okay, I get it. Like, I, I don't feel like he liked me very much. I'm an insecure person in real life. So I have a lot of times where like, I'm like, I, I'm sure that person doesn't like me or hates me. I felt that way about Rex. And then I meet him and he's like, shepherd. And he like puts <laughs> his hand out and you guys like have this big bro handshake thing. <laughs> and I weirdly got emotional. I got teared up a little bit because I was like, Rex, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you said, I was so happy for him. I was so happy that he was doing such a great job as this leader and that he remembered me so fondly after everything that happened. So I love that moment. Awesome in moment. The second game. And then he's yeah. like, he's helping you. He's kind of in the story of both Grunt and then also Morden, you know, who, uh, you know, worlds colliding. He helps you guys like find where, where Malin is like, yeah, it's, it's even though he's he's gone, like he's not in the core group, like he's still involved. And then he becomes way more involved in the third game, which is awesome as well. Yeah. 
Yeah, definitely. In the third game, so I guess this is where my complaint comes in, is they do the same thing where you have to sort of start all over again and get a new crew and there's new characters. And it's like, I, going into it, it, so it seemed to be based so much on Star Trek that I was like, how do you not understand that we don't want to have to like recruit data and then he's off doing his own thing and then recruit Worf and then he's off doing like I want I love these characters you got me so invested in their backstories in the second game and some of them do return in the third one but it's again that sort of thing where it's like well this person does but this person's off doing their own thing and this person's doing (laughs) and it's like just let me have my damn core group like you don't have to introduce new characters every time yeah but but that's a minor complaint. Yeah, well, and it, it it works in the second game in a way that I would agree that, like, by the third game, you're like, you know, like, maybe <laughs> maybe yeah. we could all be together. Because <laughs> I like that they have time away in the second game. Like, Garrus, like, what he goes through between your crew, um, him leaving your crew, and then you rejoining him, like, that was profound. Like, you see how much he's changed because he's, like, he lost his entire team and, like, the ideals that you kind of instilled him with in your playthrough of like, you can still try to do the right thing, even if you have to kind of like do it the hard way or whatever, you know, like, yeah, like seeing that play out, seeing how Liara changes and like, um, what she kind of goes through and finding your body. And then like, become going from like a, a sort of quiet researcher to like a badass, like information broker on Ilium, like, or, or then then tally of course like reuniting with her people after her pilgrimage and like yeah. it was good it was good that you let those characters breathe a little bit out apart from you you know between mm-hmm. that first and second game but by the, the third game you're like no but we were come back we just got yeah. together <laughs> right and like you know T- tally in particular like i so spoiler alert i romanced her in the second game um both in the my first playthrough and in this one because again i love her so much she's like you know just an amazing character um and in the third game it's like again she's one of the characters that's like off doing their own thing and you don't even get her for a very long time so i was just disappointed by the lack of continuity in my like team and my you know my ship um but to go back to the ship though i love one of the things i love in, in a lot of games is having some kind of home base that you like improve and make changes to. And in the second game you do that, you get, and that's one of the, one of the ways that you have, one of the things you have to do to survive that suicide mission is upgrade your ship, get better shielding, get better weapons, all that stuff. So um, I really liked that part of it too. I love that you get your own suite in this one. You get your own room with like trophies and stuff like that. Music, space hamster, a weird scre- no the screaming head is in the third one yeah <laughs> um yeah and you have a little wardrobe and and that ends up being where you like hook up with people um but i love that kind of stuff i love having like my own room and and again going around a ship and talking to people and the ship is much bigger in the second game so i really liked that but um so since we already spoiled it a little bit let's talk about romances yes. so you, you said at some point um you did you you went with liara all the way through so she is sort of a choice in the second game um did you take that choice so as part of the dlc uh she has the the dlc is called the shadow broker dlc is that like layer of the shadow broker or something like that yeah and it has you working with liara so she is introduced in the, the base game without the dlc as um an information broker 
who's trying to challenge the Shadow Broker. And then the, the, the DLC, she recruits you to help her invade the Shadow Broker's uh, hideout where she's found. And then you end up, uh, again, we're plenty of spoilers here, but you end up killing the Shadow Broker and she takes over for him. She becomes the new Shadow Broker. And that, at that point, she's your information broker now. So she helps you out and feeds you information. And that's at the point where you can hook up with her again, but she doesn't join your crew. She doesn't stay with you. You can check in with her and all that stuff. Um, is that the route you took? Yeah, so my route was um, Lyra in the first game, obviously. Like, I would say by necessity, you know. Yeah. Ashley holdouts, you know, fair enough. But, like, <laughs> yeah. But um, then the second game, I was like, I really, you know, I I really liked her. Like, I love that DLC. Like, I think she's so cool. And, like, um, I had obviously had warm feelings towards her because, like, we had, we had been a couple in the first game. So I... I I love that. Though it is kind of weird, though, because then, like, if you go into the suicide mission having only romanced her, um, like, you just look at a portrait of her in your, your room. No. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, man. Oh. It's like I don't even get to, like, make a phone call or, like, you know, like, so I was. No, no like, sexting or no, anything? Yeah. Like, <laughs> that, that... solicit nudes or something? Like, yeah. it's such a. What a bummer. <laughs> Send Liara. <laughs> a picture of your butt <laughs> for the final battle yeah so and that was a little lackluster um but i i did yeah i stayed true there and i, I liked it too because like thinking about where like romance gets co complicated in the second game um i like the idea of just having like one relationship through the trilogy um but like yeah. if you have multiple relationships then different people like you know want to and then you have to choose between like there's there's no polyamorous you know relationships in mass effect um so like it it can become trickier um but that was the choice i made um and uh yeah i i but i do feel like because of that um like my 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 playthrough of the second game like there wasn't as much of like a you know someone who's on the ship you kind of can talk all the time and you can kind of enjoy like a, a more fully fleshed out romance but um yeah what about you in the second game who um were you with oh, actually i think i know but yeah who are you with <laughs> yeah i was with tally i um she was who i romanced my first playthrough back in the day and I didn't regret it at all. And in, But in fact, with this new one, I was thinking, I kind of want to change things up. There's so many options. Um, I could go for Samara. I I could go for Miranda, who, again, at first glance, I was like, no way. But eventually I'm like, maybe, maybe she would be interesting. I could have gone for Jack. Jack is, you know, she's got that very alternative. She got a lot of tattoos and she's very kind of punk. And that's, that's very sexy. Um, uh, Liara and then Kelly Chambers, your... Um, I don't remember what they what they called her, but she's sort of your assistant, which is a little <laughs> bit problematic. But really, any of these are problematic because they're all your underlings, like they're all your your troops essentially. So, um, but I do want to challenge. You said you can't really be polyamorous. I I kind of was because I was I was a slut in in Mass Effect <laughs> too because. I found that you can hook up with people. Oh right! As long as yeah. you do it before you actually commit. And so I hooked up with Liara. Yeah. I which which was a little a little mean cuz eventually she she thinks it's something more. Um I also hooked up with Kelly 
because she was, you know, I mean, she seemed to like me and I was, well, I was single. So, you know, whatever. Um, but I couldn't, I couldn't pass up Tally. I, I had all these options because you, you can hook up with uh, Kelly Chambers um, but and she's the only character, from my understanding, that you can ju- well, uh, other than Liara, that you can just hook up with yeah. and not you don't have to be serious with. But you can be serious with her. She, she, there is the option, but I didn't really want to, and so I'm like, I feel like I'm still I couldn't I couldn't say no to Tally. Like I love her so much, so um, I chose her in the second one as well. That gets complicated in the third game, but for the <laughs> yes. second game, I I was had a lot of enjoyment revisiting. Are rekindling our flame from from way back in 2010. So I was very <laughs> happy to to romance her again. Um, we should probably move to the second game. We're spending a lot of time on two, but that's fine because again, one of the best games of of all time, I think. But um, yeah. let's talk about some of the choices that we made, though. So there's not as many as as far as I could recall as like big consequential choices because most of them are tied up in those loyalty missions and that kind of thing. Um, so basically those are choices in, of, in and of themselves. Do you do the loyalty missions for these characters and what choices do you make there? But outside of that, these sort of bigger, broader, and, and again, do uh, please remind me if I forgot any, but um, there's the two arguments between, one is between Tally and Legion, and the other one's between Miranda and Jack. And I think, I mean, you can choose sides, but you and I, again, were both perfect paragon so you can be very diplomatic and kind of just calm both of those down is that what you ended up doing yeah yeah that's the the smart choice <laughs> um what about malon's data so malon uh i said malon i think it's malon malon is um morden's ex-assistant and so he has all this data on cure am i am i right this is, this is the right story right yeah. um he has all this data on curing the genophage and it looks like according to morden like he was on the cusp. He was very close to curing the genophage. So you have the choice of uh, destroying it and just ending most hope and not all hope because it seems like they keep saying it's impossible. And then every other hour it's like, oh, there's this one thing. So, but most hope, like ostensibly, like all hope for curing the genophage, or you can keep it as sort of a just in case. I'm assuming, again, I know what you did, but. Um, you ended up saving it, right? Yeah. I mean, it is on one hand, like, obviously it's, you know, it's, it's tricky just because like how the data was, you know, kind of extracted was so like horrible, but, but ultimately, yeah, my, my feelings then and my feeling now are like the feelings now are like the data's there. It's really important, you know, could help to do a very important thing. So like, even though I disagree with how it was, extracted i guess or how we how, how we arrived at it um i uh i thought it was really important to to keep it which it ends up being the case you know but yeah, yeah, what, what, yeah. yeah what about you yeah same i i from the beginning i mean it's one of the reasons why with Morden and i was so angry at him at first because he was so I, I he was using logic but i would say his logic was even not not perfect it was flawed logic for how he was trying to justify his actions and his part in the genophage so um i kept i i was angry with how he was dealing with it and so in that particular case i i could already see that he was starting to to soften a little bit but i was like this it would be it would just be stupid to just cut that off you would have to be full renegade i think to just (laughs) delete that because it's like why wouldn't you if you really wanted to you could destroy it later you know what i mean um, so it just seemed like the smart choice in that particular case. 
The other, I don't even think this is a choice, but there's the Arrival DLC, which I didn't play in my first playthrough, but it's apparently incredibly important. So I played it at the end of my second playthrough. And in this playthrough, you've had a report that um, these Batarian colonies and the Batarian race has been almost eliminated. There's only, if I remember correctly, like tens of thousands of them left. By three? And many of them, what is it? By three or like just in general. I think by the end of two, right? Wasn't it like... Well, they are... They're doing okay, but your decision in the Arrival DLC has a powerful impact on their like population. And then they get hit by the Reapers first in the third game, so that's where their population really... Um, okay, so that... Because I, I thought that it didn't matter what your choice was, and I don't think it does ultimately, right? So, uh, so the choice is you, you get called to these colonies because you find out that the Reapers are planning on making that their first stop in the invasion. And so you have a choice of destroying the mass relay in that system, which would cause, if I remember correctly, some kind of chain reaction that would destroy the planet that the Batarian colonies are on, and you would kill like 300,000 Batarians, which is most of their population. Or you could try to warn them. But if I remember correctly, the warning doesn't help, and they get wiped out anyways, right? So your choice doesn't ultimately matter. Um, but did you, which, which one did you do? Did you, I tried to warn them just cause you know, that, that seemed, it didn't take any extra time and it seemed like the really responsible thing to, to do. Like not, it felt like not saying anything like you're already kind of doing a pretty heavy thing there anyways right. by blowing up the relay, but like to not even give them a chance or try to give them a chance just felt so, so horrible to me. Yeah. Yeah, and you have to blow it up either way, right? So, you know, I tried to warn them as well, but it, also it doesn't matter because you're still viewed as a war criminal because you had to make that choice and you ended up, it costed, you know, all those lives. So that's how the third game opens up. So let's actually transition there. Mass Effect 3, which came out only two years later in 2012, um, opens with you being tried for those war crimes of essentially sacrificing 300,000 Batarians. Um, but prior to that, you ended up at the end of the second game, turning on the elusive man in Cerberus. Um, that's another choice I forgot to mention. Cause I, I guess I, for you the know, suicide this... mission in general has all kinds of big choices. Yeah. yeah. Right. And, it, and when you defeat that human reaper baby thing, um, you have the choice to destroy the collector base or leave it intact. Um, which is what the elusive man wants you to do because he wants to, ultimately he wants to control the reapers yeah. so he wants the collector's technology and all that stuff because he wants to find a way to reverse engineer it and control the reapers um and my my choice was to destroy the base because i was like the reapers we would already had missions where it was hinted at that the reapers basically will indoctrinate you and convince you that that's the right choice so i'm like it just seems like if he's not indoctrinated he's just still making a stupid choice and like it just seems impossible to do that so i destroyed the base did you do that yeah it just uh, like what was all that you know all the stuff with saren what was the the whole mission on like the derelict reaper if not to say like this is bad news like you don't want to <laughs> involve yourself with this kind of technology especially how it's made you know like you're you're just reapers are made out of like harvesting entire civilizations like using their like biological material you know mm-hmm. this horrific sort of like process like it's it's bad news like you don't want to get involved with it and, and clearly we've proven you know by 
defeating the collectors and like blowing up their base that like we don't have to rely on that kind of technology so that was that was my thinking at the time and so i said no um i do same yeah and i do actually kind of with that sort of choice in mind um the other big decision is um choosing to rewrite the geth or not which um oh yeah is, is pretty big in legion's mission too so did you choose to rewrite the the heretics or uh did you just destroy them i think i oh shit i don't remember actually um i think i I probably did whatever you did. I think I rewrote them. Yeah. Um, because I think if I remember correctly, they said that they wouldn't necessarily lose all of their memories. And that was part of the risk was because they might end up coming back to that same conclusion. But I was like, I feel like that's better. It's like, it's still, it was kind of like the rack thing. It's like, it's a risk, but I would rather give them the choice. And it seemed like Legion and the Geth, that was their choice as well, if I'm correct, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because they only they only end up choosing the Reapers again because the Quarians attack and they feel like they have to defend themselves. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's a risk. But, yeah, to me, I felt the same way where I'm like, I can't just, like, destroy them. Like, that seems wrong. I wouldn't do that. Any of the, like, organic races you meet throughout the series, like, I just wouldn't kill, like, millions of them. Like, just yeah. because... I disagreed with them so like giving them the chance to choose again felt right absolutely yeah um and so the the third game starts out with you being at odds with the elusive man in cerberus uh, at odds with the alliance who have arrested you for war crimes but sorry for them because the fucking <laughs> reapers finally attack and invade <laughs> earth um and so the alliance has no and the council in particular who still doesn't believe you and is still trying to fuck you over and it's like i fucking saved you assholes again let me remind you um but they finally get their proof because the reapers show up and i love the arrival of the reapers it's so classic science fiction it's so like war of the worlds these massive terrifying i love the the design of the reapers and their their i mean it, it that's their race is their what these they look like giant ships but they're living living ships essentially but i love the design of them they look like giant insects like like lice or like some of like the microscopic creatures that you look at that live in your skin it's so creepy looking and they have these like massive um tentacle finger things that come out and the sounds that they make when they invade is like again very kind of um uh, war of the worlds and so they invade earth overwhelming force earth is just being kind of torn apart so of course they have no choice but to let you out of prison because they're like well what else you know who else are we going to have help try to help us and captain anderson who's now admiral anderson um reinstates your place and your rank in the alliance you still don't get an upgrade. You're still commander. Um, he's admiral, but hey, you get stuck at at, at commander. You're right. It's probably commander Shepard sounds much better than Captain Shepard or Spectre Shepard. That sounds very weird. Um, <laughs> but he also reinstates your Spectre status, and um, he ends up saying, "You go ahead. I'm going to stay behind at Earth," which was very touching. I thought that was a very moving way to start it too. Uh, and it goes back, it allows him to step back into that role that we talked about where he took over as the human council member, but he, the the entire time he felt very anxious and felt like, I want to be helping, I want to be doing stuff. Well, now he's back doing that. But of course, that means that the entire game, you're like, my best friend, my dude, who I've, you know, been so close with since the beginning, 
I think he might die. He could die. And in fact, there, there are a couple of routes through the game where he does, but, um, but you're kind of worried about him the whole game. So the Reapers invade, they're taking over earth. Um, you leave the planet, uh, back onto the Normandy and you're tasked with finding, um, a, a device called the crucible, which you don't really know what it is at the beginning of the game, but ends up being this ancient Prothean weapon, um, supposedly to destroy the Reapers that the Protheans didn't get to use because they didn't get to combine it with the catalyst, which ends up being, again, I feel like I'm spoiling it, but ends up being the Citadel. Um, so you have to combine the Crucible with the Citadel to make the, the, I just said the name. The Crucible. The The Crucible. To make it work. Yeah. To make it work. Yeah. To act the catalyst. Um, yeah, you're combining the Crucible with the catalyst, which is the, the Citadel. Um, and so that's the premise of the game. That's how it starts. And that's your whole, that's your new mission is to, again, collect some allies, uh, make your ship more powerful, gather this time, instead of making your ship more powerful, actually it's gathering war resources. So you're going around the galaxy, trying to secure alliances, trying to secure material, um, in the way of ships and people and actual resources like minerals and all these things. Um, and so that's, that's kind of how this game plays out uh this game was notorious for the ending which we'll get to we, we touched on it a little bit already um but you once again start out with some new characters on your ship james vega is one of them i didn't know until this i was looking up some information for this episode do you know who he's voiced by freddie prince jr freddie prince jr yeah. what the fuck i had no idea it doesn't sound anything like the freddie prince jr that i'm used to it's i was so amazed by that yeah well in between that he's in dragon age i guess and like he's also in like um he's in star wars rebels like he has quite the the voice acting career yeah absolutely um you also have javik who is a prothean who was uh put into stasis um and whose uh life pod essentially survived um the reaper attack and all these other things and so you resurrect him, not resurrect him, sorry, but you like wake him up yeah. essentially. Uh, and he is a massive asshole. Everyone's so excited. <laughs> They're like, oh, a living Prothean. Everyone's so excited. And he is just, uh, I mean, he, he does kind of warm up a little bit, but he's just so, he reveals the Protheans to be such essentialists and like. Conquerors, like imperialists, like horrible right. people. Yeah. Yeah, and and they're so cold because they think, well, you know, if you're too weak to not be conquered, then you deserve to be conquered. And it's like, what the fuck? I was just so like, but I love that they did that because the Protheans in the first two games are are thought of to be this very sophisticated, um, evolved, like heaven, not heavenly, but like this very perfect civilization and then you wake up this dude and he's like ah, i fucking hate everyone you're all weak assholes and you're like i want to punch you in your fifty thousand year old face right now but there's got to be some laws against that um, <laughs> poor liara is just like no <laughs> <laughs> but even her i love because so in, in three she's back on your ship she's still the shadow broker but she rejoins your crew which is awesome um but even her you go in there and talk to her after you get javik and she's like so he's interesting (laughs) you can tell like you can feel her soul like shriveling 
And one of the things I forgot to comment in the second game is that her character, and we, you and I talked about this separately, we tried to save a lot of our conversation, but one of the things that we did end up talking about was I was disappointed with Liara's transformation from the first to second game. Um, Garrus's transformation made a lot of sense, but Liara, again, at 100 years old, she was, uh, she was meant to be this sort of doe-eyed, idealistic, um, so somewhat naive, I feel like, I feel bad for saying that, but somewhat naive and optimistic um character and then literally i think it's in the course of two years right i think you're like quote unquote dead for two years or something something or is it five it's no it's no more than five yeah like a couple of years yeah yeah it's a relatively short amount of time and her transformation is so dramatic and for me it's a little unbelievable because of how long their race lives and how long it takes them to mature so she goes from being again this like doe-eyed idealistic naive um young researcher to being this like cunning um very sort of smart and savvy criminal in a way i feel bad for saying <sighs> that but technically she sort of looked at as that well yeah, um yeah it, it, i do yeah i do like the new liara i'm not saying i don't i'm just saying that it felt less believable than like it almost felt like they didn't know what to do with her and so they were like we need a character for this. Why don't we just make it Liara? And it's like, it didn't feel quite as natural. So that is a minor complaint about the second game that I have. Um, I do still love her. I don't mean to, to diss on your, your day. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> I was going to say, and, and, and just in her defense, I agree. Like it is, it's a dramatic transformation and like by time frame, totally fast and, and maybe forced, but like, she also like goes through, a lot and like she like recovers your body and like also what's weird because she's on ilium right when you find her um what what you learn about asari culture like particularly on ilium is that like those qualities are one like perfectly legal like slavery is legal on ilium and like you find out that like even though much like the protheans they're this old like they're like the original council race and they're like this old council race but like a sorry culture has a lot of like questionable things going on in it and right. like yeah i don't know i think what was interesting is like it wasn't so much time that changed her as much as like these intense changes in like circumstance and you find out that like a lot of what she's like wrapped up in has to do with like Shepard and like her commitment to Shepard and like kind of what like recovering his body and doing all these things like kind of led her into and then um then she has like her I'm forgetting his name but like her friend who like helped um recover her her body and like or Shepard's body and like she's trying to help him which is why part of the reason why she's going after the shadow broker so like what i think is cool about her transformation is like even though it does leave her to be like a little more world weary and like cynical and also like yeah a very different kind of conniving character like she's doing it out of like classic liara motives which are like very good which is like her commitment to like people who are close to her or something like that which i i liked that that was at the the center of it and then like by three she's like a scientist on mars again and is like kind yeah. of yeah back into that's her what made ways. that's what made me think of it yeah it's like once she's back on your ship she's back to being liara i think for the most part um but i i just thought of that conversation that you have with her in in two 
where she does sort of shut you down. Like, I remember the first time I played, I, I thought, well, maybe I will get with Liara again because I did like her in the first one and we were together and I feel bad. But she was like, no, I'm not really interested. And there's, it's kind of funny because there's this implied jealousy over this new character because you can ask her these questions like, oh, so were you guys just friends? And like, you get to poke a little bit at it. Um, but yeah, in three, she's back uh, on your ship. Like you said, she's this very um, excited scientist again, which that's where I love mm-hmm. the Javik thing because she's so like spent her life, which at this point, again, over a hundred years studying this civilization and to to be confronted with like here's a living person who lived through all this stuff and he's just such (laughs) a dick to her it's like uh because he's criticizing every single race he's like oh the the frogs talk now because he's talking about um the salarians he's like oh i can't believe the frogs are talking and like it's he's just really dismissive and judgmental and he doesn't really get much better i would say throughout the game but um, but yeah, so there's not a ton of new care. I mean, there's some new minor characters, Diana Allers, who's played by Jessica Chobot, who used to be a host on the Nerdist. Um, she is a little bit like Kelly Chambers in that you can hook up with her, which I did <laughs> before you make your like final kind of choice. Um, I was happy to see Daniels and Donnelly back. So they were in Mass Effect 2. They were like the engineers under the ship. They always had this like witty banter between each other. Um, And you can like pardon them. I think as a specter, I think you can choose to vouch for them to be pardoned because they're being tried for being a part of Cerberus. And so you can vouch for them and get them back on your ship. I was happy to see them back. Uh, You walk in on them hooking up at one point, which is very funny. Um, Eve is a really interesting character. She's not part of... Well, she ends up on the ship. She's um, a Krogan matriarch uh, who ends up basically being... hooking up with Rex um, and having babies and such. And then Kai Lang is one of the primary antagonists. He's this, like, ninja-esque character, very futuristic, um, who is basically an assassin... And he's kind of one of those frustrating villains because you just can't, they just keep making you confront him. And like, it doesn't matter how easily you wipe the floor with him. (laughs) He walks away and he's like, (laughs) and I'm like, I just kicked your ass motherfucker. And you're, and you number one, get to escape, which I don't think you would have. But because the cutscene said you did, you, you do, but you're also very smug. Like you're the one who won and like you didn't dick. So it's very satisfying in the end when you get to, to defeat him. Um, but I'm I'm sort of taking over here. Tell me about like what were your reactions to some of the characters that were new or that returned or didn't return that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I was I was thrilled to see um, the characters coming back. My my big okay. Well, so one I'll say, Mass Effect Three is like if you're romancing Liara, like th- that game is made for you because she joins <laughs> her crew like immediately, and then you just yeah. get to like hang out with your your space girlfriend for the entire game which is awesome um and she's because it's a logistical thing too because liara technically can't can't have died um at any point in the trilogy which is also why 
she gets to be in the the new trailer which we'll talk about later i'm sure but like they they really build her into that that third game in a lot of places so like that was great though i do do then obviously feel your frustration with someone who romances like tolly for example who like yeah. you have to wait till like the friggin third act or the end of the second right. act to like even have her join the crew and you're like oh man um so uh yeah i, I definitely feel that my one like, sorry i just want to say with liara like and you're right because almost immediately she wants to rekindle re- your relationship too she's like are we still like a thing and of course i felt bad because i had hooked up with her in the second game so she thought we were a thing but i do enjoy that they sort of allow you to back out of that respectfully and like not you know not be super cold and she seems to understand it for the most part but but yeah immediately you can rekindle your relationship so like you said you can have your partner with you through the whole adventure which is really rad so i was a little i was so sad i was like i'm sorry no because i wanted to go in a different route and we'll get to that but um but you like you said you stuck with her so from the beginning you're like let's go got my got my space lady let's do it <laughs> <laughs> that was a yeah uh, a quiet um air electric guitar air, solo air, celebrating, how, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> celebrating how happy i was <laughs> yeah yeah no it, it's wonderful i will say though like that logistical reason why liara um gets to come back and is like such a crucial part in the third game. I do think though, that also points to something that's a bit of a bummer for me, which is that because so many of those other characters can die, um, you really don't get like other than Edie, who wasn't like a playable squad member, but she is introduced into so many of those great characters introduced into don't get to become like a core member of your, your team, which is such a shame. Like they get to show up and obviously have big, meaningful stories in the third game, but like, they don't get to like be a part of it, which like, or, like to be like a part of your squad, which to me was just always like a, a bit of a bummer. Um, obviously like, like Garrus and, and Tali get to come back, but like any anybody who was like introduced for the first time in the second game sort of gets left out in that way, which I've always kind of been bummed out by. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um the the cast in three is pretty expansive. A lot of people do return. Edie is returned in her physical shape. I don't think we talked about that. She has her own arc where she goes from being um a bodiless AI essentially created for your ship. Uh, and then she gets a she gets a body. You you collect a body through a mission of um, one of the Cerberus uh, assassins, I think it is, um, who's made to look like a very sort of voluptuous, beautiful woman, um, so that she can alter her appearance and become and be like accepted in in different groups as a, as a quick side note because i so wanted to talk to you about this but it actually didn't come up naturally until now <laughs> she like infiltrates that base on mars right and she's like everyone just thinks she's like a scientist but like no one notices that she has like this hair that's just like one metal like piece <laughs> and well they don't they don't show it but it says in the in one of the codexes that she can um, change it into individual strands yeah so i'm assuming she looked like a human woman for most of it um but you're right like as soon as you see her, like you never see that you only see her with like this like very plastic looking 
you know, retro hairstyle. Even like security footage when she's like, yeah, that character, they're all like, oh, hey, doctor, whatever. And blam. Oh, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, did you do something with your hair? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been enough for me if they were like, oh, yeah. that, that looks weird. <laughs> but yeah, I, I always just thought that that was kind of like, like funny. <laughs> but you're right. There is an in-universe explanation for it. Now that I want, I, I, now that I think about it, I wonder if that's what it was. Was people were like, isn't it kind of silly that they just accept? her because like they made her to look human but she doesn't really look human so they were like what if we wrote in there that she can like change the texture and the the appearance of her surface layers or whatever um but speaking of Edie I loved Edie yes. and I'm I'm forever sad I understand like I brought this up and you made a really great point um before we started talking which was that she is kind of made for Joker and they have a great relationship and she allows Joker to become a better character and, and all these things. But damn, if I like, <laughs> I probably, especially this, this playthrough, I would have chosen her in a second game because she is a close runner up to tally. She's so smart. She's so funny and obviously deadpan delivery because she's an AI. Um, but I love that she's also becoming more and more compassionate and like, I don't want to say human because humans aren't the only race, but um, becoming more organic in the way that she thinks and feels compassion and stuff and has emotions. So I love her journey. I love her character. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm forever sad that she wasn't a romance option, but, but I was sort of role-playing jokingly in the DLC for the third one, which we'll get to, which is great. Um, where you're at the party that I was like trying to like hit on her and like pick her up and stuff. But, um, but yeah, she's she's a great character, and we'll talk more about her later. But I love her. Big shout out um, to a seemingly minor character, but upon this playthrough, thinking about like what we appreciated more, Samantha Trainer friggin' rules as a character. Yeah. Like I think she's amazing, and that great scene at the party in the Citadel DLC where she's Edie is relaying how um, Samantha thought she was just like a, a regular AI, so she was like hitting on her the entire yeah. time. Like some of that dialogue. <laughs> It's so funny. It's so yeah, funny. she's like her voice is was just so. She didn't say sexy. I don't think. Well, she maybe yeah, she did. did. Yeah. She said I wanted. You were like you were saying that you wanted to take my voice and like have it choke you. <laughs> like it gets really explicit, and she's and like, "Oh my yeah. god." <laughs> yeah, and I. But you're right. Like I definitely appreciated her more, and I tried to romance her because I thought maybe she was going to be sort of the Kelly Chambers of this one, where you can like hook up with her, and apparently you can. If you're femme chef, yep. not as male chef. So, but I liked having her as a friend. You could still have her up to the cabin and hang out with her. Play games. She was so sweet and funny. Yeah, you could play games. She's she's a great chess player. Chess, right? I think it's chess. Well, chess, but then later she's playing like that RTS like strategy yeah. game. And there's that great scene with her and like her tournament rival where like the camera goes like all kill Billy. <laughs> and he's like, you. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, she had a she was a, a great. I think I liked her in the first one, but like you said, I definitely appreciated her more uh, in this one. Um, wait, is she in the first game? No, sorry, I I didn't mean the the the. Wait, oh no no wait, oh no no. Sorry, I meant my first playthrough. Of the, oh, like, back, oh, okay. Back in the day. You blew my mind for a second. Yeah, no no like, no. Oh my god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she was Saren all along. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> I love Saren but... even more than I, I ever would have. Yeah. <laughs> I could tell he was sexy under all of that weird machinery at the end. Um, he pulls out his toothbrush to battle you. <laughs> oh, the toothbrush. Oh, yes. my God. That was so funny. 
Um, yeah, that, that's a whole thing. Like, so you get to converse with her a lot when you're going to the galaxy map. So she's the Kelly chambers of this, um, entry where she's your, I, I don't want to say your secretary. I can't remember the, the name, but she's like your assistant. Essentially. She tracks all your emails and things like that. And so you get to chat with her and have these funny little conversations. And at one point she's like, I'm so excited to be here, but I feel bad because I just bought this really expensive toothbrush and it uses like tiny mass effect fields to like break up plaque and it's kind of a joke on the game because everything in the game is like mass effect fields or like space ice cream is made by mass effect (laughs) fields or whatever like the us learning how to manipulate mass effect fields is like uh, allowed us to do tons of stuff and so it's kind of a joke on that that like they're even being used to like you know break up plaque or like whatever sell toothbrushes and so then you ask her how much it was and it was like ridiculously expensive and then later um in it's not the is it the citadel dlc where you go back to the ship and it's like oh we need some tool to like break in through this like security panel and she's like boom she whips out her (laughs) her toothbrush it's very funny um but but yeah i i liked her can she die because like later in the game isn't there like an invasion sequence where yeah where the reapers is it the reaper someone that someone comes on board or the collectors and they kidnap a bunch of that's in the second game the Ke- second Kelly one, right. can, Kelly yeah. can die um yeah that's what it is yeah and Kelly, so can Dr. Shockwaz and all Shockwaz, of your yeah, all yeah. of your crew can die if you're not fast enough to follow them into the relay Dr. Shockwaz by the way I love her too yeah. like she has a whole little side story where she wants to get this bottle of brandy I think it yeah. is like this really fine expensive brandy um, and sh- you buy it, you, you take on the side mission you go get it for her and you bring it to her and she's like, Oh, thank you so much. And then later, cause she's like, celeb- she's like keeping it for a celebration. But then toward the suicide mission, she's like, might as well just drink it now. Cause I don't think we're coming back. And it really is part of one of the small things that sets up that suicide mission is like, you really don't feel the first time you play, if you don't know any better, you really are like, I'm probably coming back. Cause I know there's a third game coming, but like, mm-hmm who among my crew and like you said she could die um and then in the third game she does end up coming back but um and there's some joke about that that brandy too i can't oh she orders it and someone drinks it i think before the party or something like that but but anyways i think we've gotten far off track i don't remember (laughs) i think i interrupted when you were talking about um liara being integrated back oh and just and, like characters and stuff yeah yeah oh yeah and my shout out to um trainer who who is yeah. new but yeah i love her like i i just think she's so great um and and what a fun addition even though i like kelly too like no no diss on kelly um she's great yeah but, uh, yeah no i uh i loved um those characters coming back um and yeah i think just diving into well, one thing before we get to the story because that's obviously what we're what we're here for, folks. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, the combat it's so like they between one and two, it's a huge leap in terms of like the shooting and the mechanics and and, and powers and every how everything works together. But three, oh man, how um you can roll and like what they did to sort of amp up your your powers and abilities and how good combat feels in three it's just it's awesome like it, yeah. um, they really um made some great changes um going into that that third game so i i love how that feels but um yeah i that i don't know i i think i've said my piece on 
like just sort of the the characters themselves um how are we feeling about like the story like kind of how it how it's structured or, or set up um generally um i didn't think i wasn't quite as impressed by it uh as i was the second one like you talked about with the characters with this one again you're mostly going around collecting resources and that's in and of itself seems a kind of a shallow excuse to just go do missions right um, I do like I do like that kind of stuff. I like building up, like you know, having to get more powerful and stuff. I I appreciate it on like a a surface level, but outside of that, and just appreciating the idea of like getting more powerful, um, and it does affect the ending. So your war, what is it called? Your war, war assets. War assets. Yeah, your your number of war assets um, changes the the endings that you can get. And so I, I liked that, but just, again, it just sort of seemed like an excuse for like, okay, now go around and do a bunch of missions. Right. Um, so I wasn't impressed by it. I didn't hate it. Um, but I liked, I, again, I sort of, I liked, I, for this one, I was more focused on just doing the missions. I didn't look as, as much at like planets and stuff. And part of it is because now on the galaxy map, so in the very first Mass Effect, the galaxy map, you just sort of pick the planets that you want to look at or go to. And then you're, there's like an animation that shows your, tri- your, your ship going. Um, in the second and third one, you can fly around the map. Um, it's like in like a little miniature Normandy. And you go to the planets and like you can scan them. And that's another thing we've, we didn't mention, I guess we, we probably should, is in the first game, when you go to certain planets, you can land on the planet with the Mako yeah. and drive around and explore. I loved those missions at the time. They weren't quite as fun this time around. Uh, in the second and third game, though, no more landing missions. You just scan planets, which is its own kind of fun, weirdly. Like, it was very zen, I found. Yeah. Um, but in the third game, when you are flying around these things, if you scan too many times, Reapers will show up, depending on the system that you're in. And they're terrifying, and they make that blare, and, a blah, and like a bunch of them come in. And if they get you, if they capture you, it's game over. Right. And it will reload, but like it kept me from scanning or like exploring systems for a while or i'd like pop in and like you know be scan and find a planet but i i alerted the reapers so now they're coming to get me so i have to leave the planet go do a story mission and then come back and like then i can explore so that was a little bit annoying um so i think the structure of the narrative was again sort of i was sort of lukewarm too um what did you think of it i i feel the same way um I think it's more rigid in terms of how you complete it, which like totally stinks if again, like you're, for example, you're romancing Tali and you're like, I would love to have her around right away. Not being able to do like the Quarian stuff before the Krogan stuff, you know, like, like, I don't know that that's kind of a bummer. So like the rigidity of that um, stinks, but then like, uh, yeah, something I think that, it is a weakness in the third game and part of it is just because of where the stories have like the reapers have finally come so there's like a real sense of urgency but like just in the mechanics of it like there it creates this real tension between like the game is both going like explore our big beautiful world do all the side content discover planets find resources all that but also like don't do it the reapers are there and if you explore too much you're going to be punished for it um as a player and like it creates kind of yeah like a really i think unhelpful tension between like 
I want to explore, but I feel like I can't either because like the mechanics of the game are kind of discouraging me or because the story itself is discouraging me. Um, yeah. Yeah. Because we should say that like doing, so you mentioned the tally thing, doing certain story missions, you could in theory get tally pretty early by doing that story mission. But when you do certain story missions, it locks out a lot of the side missions. So that's what you're talking about where it's like, you're not really encouraged you're you're sort of expected to do them in these or you're punished for not doing things in a certain way so you want to do like all the side missions available then do the next major story mission then do all the side missions available otherwise you get locked out of certain side missions which can affect not only your war assets but characters um, characters yeah and so you might you end up with a bad ending so you can mainline it and kind of go through pretty quickly but you'll be punished for it in the end so that's the rigidity and that's yeah that's i forgot about that so that's that's definitely frustrating well like with jack right like that mission's a great example of you learn at some point early on that like grissom academy where she's teaching you don't know this at the time but she is teaching um biotic students there um you learn that's under attack by cerberus and like if you don't do that mission before you complete i think um tachanka um which is the convergence of the turian and krogan you know um story missions um if you don't complete it by then all of them get captured by cerberus and jack gets turned into like a phantom and is like horribly tortured along with their students and you're like whoa holy fuck you know like it's a it's a big deal um and like even though like you can blast through the game to get to tally it's not like it's not like the, the the migrant fleet is on the galaxy map in the first part of the game you have to do right. so many major story things and like just blow through like all the other content just to get to her so like it, it is the game really saying like Mm-mm, oh no 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 you have to wait yeah. which is you know it, it is what it is and like maybe there's some value to that but like i don't know like having some of that flexibility that like the second game had i think would have given players more you know control in a helpful way over how they they went about things but and i think that's why i sort and again i understand narratively why it couldn't really be this way but i wish they would have just sort of carried over most of your crew from the second one into the third one um because then you can take them along with you you could do some side missions with them and like do particular not loyalty missions per se but like missions that maybe expand on their backstory a little bit more um right from the beginning or you could have held off you know like you would have had that option so yeah i definitely um definitely uh wish that that would have been different but um what about so we talked about the characters we talked okay well wait sorry am i interrupting were you in the middle of something i don't want to okay so let's let's i guess let's go to the romance thing because we've already sort of spoiled it um you stuck with liara and you're happy with that choice, right? You yes. were loyal to her throughout. I yeah, and I I loved it. Um, as much as I, you know, am critical of how the third game ended, like the idea of our sort, like the power of our romance, did make me really like emotional at the mm-hmm. end. Like against you know, despite the fact that I was playing the ending of the game, going like, oh, I'm this upsets me that it's this and this and this. Like the idea that like my love story with her was like coming to an end actually like really even 
after playthroughs like so many playthroughs and so many years of playing the series like i I, i'm like oh god yeah i still got very emotional and part of that was like because i'm like we'd been together for three games and like think of all we've been through and like we're not gonna be able to have those blue babies that you were talking (laughs) about i'm like oh no yeah like so that was that was emotional but you um sir you had quite the the whirlwind um the romantic whirlwind in this third game so it was it was very unfortunate i didn't have that emotional conclusion that you did because i ended up with our old friend the space racist (laughs) ashley williams and i know i know dear listener you're probably judging the hell out of me right now and i understand it but i felt sort of backed into a corner because early in three you you hook up with Liara as I did, or sorry, I hooked up with her in the second game and I romanced her in the first, but I didn't, I, I ended up because you can't really like fully romance her in the second game. So I was like, I feel go fine going with, with Tally because I really liked Tally. I wanted to be with her. Um, but I still had that urge to shake things up with the third game. So with the third game, I felt like I had all these choices and then I started looking into it. Cause at first I was like, let me just kind of see how things play out. And I started looking into it and your choices are actually incredibly limited if you didn't romance the people in the second game. So I thought, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go for Miranda. I was like, I really like her character development. By the time the third game comes around, she's a good person. She's selfless. She's all of the things that she didn't appear to be when you first meet her. And she's talented and beautiful and all these other things. So I'm like, I'm going to go for Miranda. And the game's like, no, no, no. Not if you didn't hook up with her in the second game. And I'm like, ah, damn it. So I... Um, Tally, like I said, I had the option, but I wanted to shake things up. Um, Kasumi was not an option. Um, Jack is not an option if you didn't romance her. I don't think if you didn't romance her in the second game. Um, same thing with Samara, which as you pointed out, probably maybe that wasn't even an option. Um, and so then I was left with Edie is just not an option at all. So if I remember correctly, I was left with Kelly Chambers or Ashley Williams. <laughs> and like I had hooked up with Kelly Chambers in the second game, so she was an option and I liked her, but her romance seems so shallow. She's not in your party. You can't have that like final moment with her. Um so essentially it would be another kind of hookup thing and I was like I don't want that. I want something a little more significant. And so I was left with Ashley Williams and I was like, well, <laughs> shit. And so I was like, you know what though? People said she changes, so maybe if I romance her that's when I'll start seeing her change. No, like, okay, granted she gets less racist, but she doesn't like have a turning point where she's like, basically, I mean, she's not comparing these other races to like dogs or animals. That's, that's about it. Like she doesn't, there's no point where she's like, you know, back in the day, I was sure was a piece of shit. No, she doesn't have like that. At least not in my playthrough. I didn't, maybe, maybe I didn't have the right choices. This is the first time I've, I've romanced her, but, um, I didn't have I I didn't I never got any of that from her so she ended up being more neutral and like not a, an overtly terrible person but she never really made up for the sins of her past so I ended up feeling like I was caught in a relationship that I just didn't really want to be in she's like <laughs> oh I love you yeah let's let's kiss and make out and I'm like eh, 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 you know so I was not super happy with uh with my my romance in the end but um but I did, I did again, sort of sleep around. Um, I hooked up with Diana Allers, the reporter, um, which was, which was fun. Um, 
I think that's it. I think that's the only person you, you can hook up with in the third game. You didn't make out with Javik um, in front of his weird I did not. water. I did. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even get that option. I don't know if I, I don't think I would have taken it, but I don't, I don't think I had had that option, but, um, but, but yeah, so that's, um, but the, I want to go back to Liara because the layer of the shadow broker, which again, I hadn't played my first playthrough. I love that DLC and I love what it adds to the story, but the DLC that I also liked, and it doesn't, well, it adds a lot to the lore, but maybe not so much to the story, was the Leviathan DLC. Yeah, I know we're going to get to the Citadel DLC because that's, that's probably going to be one of the last things to talk about. But the Leviathan DLC has you go to this planet and investigate, um, I want to say it's just a bunch of ships going down and there's like, it's myst- it's kind of like a Bermuda Triangle thing. Like any ship that goes in this area gets shot down and they're not really sure why. And what you find out is that there's this this precursor race. I think they're called the, Le- the Leviathans, aren't they? They're, no, they're called Leviathan based on the project that um, right. the, the guy, the, the doctor something, um, he, is, yeah. he is doing. And then it just kind of sticks, I think, for the remainder of the DLC. Yeah, they might have an official name. I don't remember it, but essentially know. you you go to this planet, it's in a it's a water world, um and there's deep deep seas all over the entire surface and there's all these ships crashed in the water and you land and there's like some lab set up where where I think it was Cerberus that was like investigating it and trying to like figure out what it was. And you end up dropping down to the bottom in this this uh pressurized um basically super scuba suit thing and you find them and they are reapers or at least they look like them and it turns out that essentially the reapers based their appearance off of this race that wasn't completely wiped out and has basically escaped to the depths of this planet and has basically kind of been doing a hibernation of their own to kind of stay out of the way of the reapers and you convince them to aid you that's like there's you can mess it up and not not get them but they become a war asset but the reason, so I love that. I love the imagery of them, the idea that they're uh, under the ocean yes. and they're so massive and they're just so intimidating, like a reaper. But you convince them to be on your side. And I'm like, oh, that's one of those badass things where it's almost like you befriend a reaper and it's like, watch out, motherfuckers, because yeah. they can like control people's minds and they're super powerful. Um, the disappointing thing is that that's the end of it. Like, I was hoping that what that meant was that in the final conflict with the Reapers, suddenly out of the sky, this, like, fleet of Reaper-like <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. The fleet of Cthulhu's were going to show up and be like, Braw, and, like, have their own, like, super creepy, blaring sound and just wreck some shit, and they didn't. So I'm like, on the one hand, I love that DLC. I love going down underwater and doing that whole part of it and finding them and talking to them, but I was a little disappointed that it didn't affect the ending as much as I wanted it to yeah which um yeah such a cool dlc yeah they're essentially the race that created the intelligence that is the reapers which is cool and important almost shouldn't be dlc some might say (laughs) same with uh not for nothing um but javik was day one dlc which is just some ea 
you know bs you know in my opinion especially because he was coded in the actual base game the DLC. i was gonna say i forgot that he was dlc he seems like he's part of the game he has to be you would, yeah. you would think but no what and we could talk about it i mean if we really want to go into the weeds on the future episode i have a whole running theory that like mass effect 2 is basically about bioware being acquired by ea and you know <laughs> ea is cerberus and bioware is yeah. casey hudson is commander shepherd it is a whole thing but like <laughs> where you could just hear echoes of like what that entire process must feel like through the you know the the, the running dynamic between Shepard and Cerberus throughout the second game and even the third game like come on elusive man <laughs> <laughs> I'm Casey Hudson this is my favorite video game on the Citadel <laughs> he's, yeah he's like give us give us more time to finish this third game we're working together and he's like no. that's true yeah it's all rushed and everything yeah that's 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 really funny yeah i but you're right because it reveals so much and it ties into this discussion that seems to be having happening every 40 or fifty thousand years about uh i was gonna say bionic <laughs> biological and um synthetic life where it's a cycle these biological beings keep creating synthetic life maybe out of necessity argument, you know, you can argue, um, and then it turns on them. And it's just this like, and the Reapers were sort of the ultimate example of that. Um, and so, like you said, it does play a lot into the ending into a lot of like, well, what choice do you make? Do you merge everything? And, you know, we'll, we'll get to that, but yeah, it, it definitely does play a huge role. But since we're talking about DLC, let's just get to the Citadel DLC because that was not meant to be part of the core game. And in fact, it was created as sort of an apology for how rushed many people seem to think that the ending was and it and it the ending as as it was released didn't really give people the kind of closure that they wanted with the characters that they had come to love over the course of three games and so the citadel dlc was released and it's a, a series of missions that culminates in this wild kind of shore leave party where you can have two one of two different parties one that's like a subdued kind of chill party and one's like a little bit more raucous like loud music and all that stuff um but before that there's like you know you go uh go to dinner with joker and there's like an assassination well it's not an assassination yeah it's, attempt, but this... it's an attempt oh, ultimately it is yeah well it, it it looks like an assassination thing but then it ends up being something else but then it right. ends with them wanting to now actually kill you yeah <laughs> Um, and they chase you and like they destroy this giant aquarium thing and it's very cool very fun um, and and the citadel the the party part of it where you throw this big party um, was super charming and I loved that you got a little bit a lot bit more of like the thing that we love most about the game the thing I most people love about the game is not necessarily like the combat and the adventure it's the characters yeah. and like getting to know them and, and and conversing with them and having them with you to like give you little commentary as you're fighting. So I thought it was super cool, but we talked, we touched on this a little bit separately. Um, when did you play the Citadel, Citadel DLC? Cause I think a lot of people play it like right before the end of the game. So where did you feel was like the appropriate time to do that? Yeah. Oh gosh. What was, I think, I've done it a few different ways where I've done like um I've done like the the mission part of it like where it's just a mission like I've done it like kind of after the 
the the Quarian mission ends like the the Rannick mission, but before Thassia. Um, I've done it a few different ways, but generally the way I do play it is like once I've done everybody's key missions, including like Miranda's and everything, so that they can be present for the party. But then I just do the primary mission right before then but you staggered it a little bit more than like how a lot of people myself included tend to do it like closer to the end yeah because earlier on um they make a comment about you know the crew's been through a lot and they they sure could use a rest they sure could admiral hackett's telling you like i basically i order you to go on shore leave and so at that point i was like you know he's right maybe i should so i started doing those core missions but then it got to the point of the party where you send out the invites and I was like, I don't have everyone yet. So I had to finish. I had to go through some more stuff, but I still did it sort of like in maybe like between like the second and third act or like not near the end. A lot of people do it right near the end, but I, I just felt like it didn't make a lot of sense, at least in my the role playing that I was doing, because everyone makes such a big deal. The entire game is like, this is the end. This is it. Like. We're, we're all of us are probably going to be throwing this is the real suicide mission the second one is like it's a dangerous mission this one is like most of us are probably not going to survive this and so it's a very subdued or like grim kind of tone for that game and so partying right before the end didn't make a lot of sense to me so i try to still do it toward the middle where it's like we need what we need to recharge before our final push to like do these final handful of missions so um that's when i did it but i i did both parties you said you've played both so i'm I'm sure you've done like the subdued chill party (laughs) and then the um i like the 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 loud more energetic one more it's i think there's more funny stuff like um was it grunt that got drunk and passed out in the shower or something he gets drunk and passed out in the shower but he also like is like the doorman halfway through so he's like letting some he's like just saying no to people (laughs) who are trying to get in (laughs) yeah Yeah, random people yeah and he's like this is fun that was that was very good um there's the biotic stuff where like they're like they levitate james over the balcony (laughs) with biotics or um the 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 great Edie uh trainer stuff we talked about where Edie is like you were saying that you wanted my voice to lick your collarbone (laughs) she's like oh god and then tally's sitting over there and she's like trying to make awkward conversation to avoid it she, she's like i love this cheese <laughs> the party and tally yeah and she gets really drunk and she talks about like she's like oh they said it was i just so i just put it in my little you know i don't remember what it's called but the little like port that she uses to like drink out of um and she gets super drunk and is very funny i like like you said it's all the dude bros like javik and everyone like up on the on the balcony like and jacob like all trying to out like macho each other um zaid is very funny he's setting up like booby traps around the place in case because him and garris are looking at it like oh look at these big windows and like a sniper could come in and blah 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 so they're going around trying to like help fortify your apartment when you're like i don't fucking care like I'm, i don't really live here um i love that Kasumi's there she keeps popping in and out and like commenting on stuff and playing poker um yeah it was it was a lot of fun i really liked i didn't play it my first time through so 
it was really cool to get to get to experience it this time got to see what all the hype was about oh what a treat for you then to, yeah, to, yeah. to get to, to play it through because like i i loved it um i love that entire dlc <laughs> like very quickly the you mentioned Zayed, him hitting on samara for like that entire yeah. period which is like wow what a what a, a, a unexpected um you know situation um but no, I love that the entire party section is so good. And there's like so many moments in that party section that are just, you know, your your dream, you know, s- scenario. So it's hard to remember all of them, but it's so good. I love all the little like when you can invite them individually up to your apartment and you get to like watch like the rom-com with Tally or like... Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think of you could you can have like a, a pull-up contest with James to break his record, yeah. which I did for the first time in this playthrough. You have to <laughs> you have to pull the triggers like 180 times or something. It's so <laughs> I was doing it, I'm like, I can't believe I'm doing this. This is taking like 20 minutes. I feel so stupid. Um, but uh yeah, there, there's that stuff that's really funny. Like Liara like comes up and like plays your piano and stuff, and like and you have like a you have like a memorial for thane which is very nice with his son like there's all kinds of cool like nice little character moments that you feel like 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 sort of round out those stories more than like that that sort of forced moment at the end where you're like calling everybody on like their vidcom or <laughs> just going yeah, yeah bye <laughs> and it's also it is a nice last not last but an, another nice moment with your significant significant other which i'm envious of you because like it's the thing like you wake i woke up with ashley and she's like draped over me and she's like mm, how are you feeling and i'm like ah, i'm fine let's go let's get out <laughs> you're you're humming you know if you can't be with the, the one you love i love the one you're with yeah, exa- exactly yeah can't always get what you yeah, want. Exactly. Um, she's like, I, <laughs> I just love us, you know. We're, we're I, I know, and uh, the thing is, like, they make her so attractive in the third one. She's very attractive. She's very pretty. But again, I can't get over the first game. Like, I just can't leave her past behind. So that whole scene, I was like, what would this scene be like with Tally? What would this scene be like with you know anyone else virtually? <laughs> Yeah. Damn it. Imagine you and Tally watching that like cute rom com together and yeah. oh man, curled up on the couch. Oh. I gotta play it all again. <laughs> yeah, I guess um. <laughs> we'll do another one of these podcasts in a couple months after we <laughs> we replay. <laughs> yeah, and I'll I'll just cheat and play the third one and at the beginning when it's like, Who did you romance? I'll be like, uh actually I'll, and I'll just pick whoever. Probably Miranda. I think I would wanna see well, then I would probably romance her in the second one. That was another one where he gets to the point where she's basically like, hey, you want to hook up? And I'm like, I mean, I do, but I'm waiting for someone. Sorry. And now I kind of go back and I'm like, I should have just done it. But um, so that's the DLC. Let's talk about we're we're running short. And we, this is way over, which I, I appreciate you sticking around because I can talk about this forever with you. But I do feel like we should probably start wrapping up. But I feel like there's probably stuff we haven't mentioned yet, like. For me, one of the things I want to mention is the Thresher Maw versus the Reaper. Yeah. Can we and maybe we, we... do like, yeah, like our, our moments, we big moments from three that we really liked. Because I feel like yeah. it's easy to talk about three and just talk about how much the ending was disappointing. But like there, are, we talked about this before, but there are awesome, cool moments yeah. in that third game. 
Yeah, and that's one of them for me because like the Thresher Maw is basically like a sandworm for anyone who hasn't played it. So you land on these planets in the in the first game and 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 ends up or in the later games as well where you're in your Mako, your little lander, your rover, and there's these like they're called Thresher Maws. They're these giant like sandworms that pop out of the ground. Um, they do a ton of damage. They can destroy your vehicle in just a few hits. Um, and in the, before the remaster, they were harder. I think they, I, if I remember correctly, that's one of the things they balanced. Um, and so they're like this nightmare through the whole series. And in the third game, you find out that there's like this super ultra thresher maw, a queen thresher maw, and she's super huge and super powerful. And there's a mission where I think when you first hear about her, you're a little bit like, oh shit, like I have to take care of another thing. But then it ends up being someone, I don't remember who, someone comes up with the idea, like, well, what if we lure her lure her because they like are based it's kind of like um the movie oh what is that movie about tremors where it's like they're underground and so they like react to like motion and they're like well what if we like lure her to this reaper and have her attack the reaper and i i I was doing that mission and i kept thinking i I forgot about it i i must have played it in the first game but i totally forgot the outcome and i was so worried that I was going to lead her to the Reaper and then she was going to come out and like attack it. And the Reaper was just going to like saw her in half because everything that we've, th- we've thrown at the Reapers up to this point, other than the entire, you know, Alliance fleet or, or not even Alliance fleet, but the entire galactic fleet or whatever it's called at the Citadel when it took down, we took down, um, Oh God, now I'm forgetting his name. Sovereign, I think. Sovereign, yes, thank you. Who was a Reaper. Like, that's the only only time we've been able to, like, take one down. Eventually, you end up taking down, like, four or five just on your own. But this is one of them. I mean, you don't take it down. The Thresher Maw comes up and it attacks the yeah. Reaper. And I remember... I, I just started cheering like i i'm not that i'm not very emotive when i'm playing games i might get i might get emotional i might get a little weepy and stuff like that but i'm not the type to like jump up and fist pump and stuff but that moment when it came up and it grabbed the reaper and it started like trying to pull it underground and the reaper's fighting back and it almost escapes and then it just like that pulls it under i was so excited because i live for that like that kaiju kind of thing of like two big formidable terrifying powerful creatures fighting and the reapers had been played up over all these games as being like unstoppable so to have the thresher maw who was a nightmare to us as players um come up and take it down i was like i was so hyped by that it was one of my favorite parts in the whole series yeah i'm right there with you and i want to highlight um the tachunka mission because i think as much as like the the ending of the third game like people's common complaints is like yeah it it feels rushed like it feels like my choices aren't really factored in it feels like characters that i'm connected to don't have like a real stake in it or they aren't like at the center of it that tachunko mission like from beginning to end is like everything that you could want from like a conclusion to the series like what's at stake in that mission is like you're going to cure the genophage like that's fucking huge and like you're doing it with like like eve you're doing it the morden and like all of your choices up until that point like totally factor into whether or not that's even possible like I, I'm I'm gonna blow your mind here if you don't already know this, because um, my mind was blown when I learned about it because I was watching like a GameSpot thing of like, um, 
bizarre, like rarely achieved Mass Effect 3 outcomes. But Morden can survive the third game. Like he can make it to the end of the third game. What? Yeah. Yeah. And it has everything to do with Tachunka because like how that ending happens is like if you kill Rex and that other Krogan guy who's like super conservative takes power and he's like, I don't want to cooperate with anybody. We're not doing anything about the genophage. Like, fuck it. We're just going to keep doing what we're doing. Um, if he takes power and then you don't keep Malin's data and like Eve dies, you know, um, and like there's no Eve to begin with um, and like none of that happens like Morden has nothing to do in that third game like in terms of curing the genophage so he just like is a scientist that you recruit and he helps you with the collectors and he just like lives through the rest of the game series incredible never knew that that is yeah. mind-blowing and, holy shit and that's that's what i mean like they are they account for player choice and it's real and it like really matters and it's like it doesn't feel like some arbitrary thing that can happen or doesn't happen like it's woven into the game so like by comparison then knowing that that's an outcome everything else that happens in that mission feels like so earned and so powerful because it's like so much tied to like what you're choosing to do throughout the series and yeah yeah and again like that mission has it all like you're there with rex who might be dead but he's there instead like leading everybody like and, and pushing everybody towards this cure you're there with morden who could have died during the suicide mission and he's there using malin's data that you could have thrown out um that's true and, wow and and like eve's there who she might not even be there if if, if you know you, you had chosen to do that and she would die you know potentially mm-hmm. if morden was dead and you didn't have the data um and you're all there and just like this sort of Hail Mary effort to like make um, this this uh, like sort of cure work, which, by the way, you're approached by the, the, the Salarian like uh, council person. Or no, it's the, the Deltross, I think, um, maybe a different person. Unclear. But like they're like bribing you to like, hey, we'll give you the Salarian scientist if you betray Morden, which, by the way, we've talked we've had long conversations about this, Joey, but like. You know, it's one thing to roleplay a little bit renegade to go a little dirty Harry and your Mass yeah. Effect later, but like, <laughs> who shoots Morden in the elevator? Right. Like, I'm, I don't know. There comes you a point. You have to be doing full renegade. Like, that's so dark. I know. And I'm like, you know what? Kotaku or whoever or PC gamer whoever wrote this review about basic Mass Effect players like call me basic all you want but I'm not gonna <laughs> go full renegade and like murder this character in cold blood and like yeah. perpetuate this like sort of forced sterilization on the Krogan like whatever like so like but all those choices are at play and as you say too like that that moment with Kalros like the mother of all Thresher Maws like mm-hmm. attacking the Reaper it has like this massive set piece in the middle of it we're like that's so cool and like oh it's like one for one mission to like wrap up all those stories so nicely and to have like that profound moment of like morden as you say the guy who is like cold and indifferent and exclusively logical to have him transform into this character who's willing to sacrifice himself to like make the genophage go through and he's humming gilbert and sullivan when he dies which like you know like all the the feelings like and if you know that too if because from talking to him and you know that he loves like musicals like just have that like little thing in there oh man it what a what an incredible moment and like 
you know, the the ending of the third game can be as unsatisfying as it's going to be, but like they there are some great moments like that and like Rannoch, which I know you you were saying that like especially if you had been romancing Tally at the time, like you would have had an even more profound reaction. But you said that one really got to you. Yeah, Rannick Rannick Rannick, right? Rannock? Rannock, I think, yeah. Rannock, yeah, is um probably my favorite thing or mission or event of the entire series in part because of tally like i love her but i i love the war between the geth and the quarians and it builds up over the course of the entire series not just in the things that you learn about tally and her people and then eventually legion and his people but or their people i think they actually well they gender him they shouldn't but they but they ended up gendering him as male but um but you learn through these characters, this background of this war, but also in all of that codex stuff, all of the lore of the entire galaxy, this, this war between these two species is so symbolic of that battle or that, that relationship between biological and um, synthetic or organic and synthetic life forms that it's hard not to see the reaper versus everyone kind of conflict as well in that or like reflected in that. And so, you know, one of the missions that we, we didn't talk about cause I think we, we figured it out. Well, it's actually, no, sorry. It is this mission. If you mess this mission up, Tally commits suicide. If you mess it up and you choose the, the Geth, um, and you haven't like fully done all of the loyalty stuff with Tally and like, you know, like basically gone full Paragon, um, and you side with the Geth, she will kill herself. Um, if you haven't a Paragon, I think it's par- based on Paragon points, and you've done all of their loyalty missions together, you can choose sort of the diplomatic route um, where they're going to share... Oh, no, yeah. I think they share... Don't they yep. share the mm-hmm. planet? Yeah. And that's like the optimal route. And I think that, that... I'm pretty sure that's how I ended up doing it in my first playthrough. But in this playthrough, because I was so much more invested in the lore and that... that it, the the gravity or the weight of that war and its implications um, and how much more sympathy I had for the Geth and Legion this time, which I did earlier too, but I was just so much more invested this time. That mission and like coming to that conclusion, I was, yeah, just moved to tears because I felt such relief for Tally and her people because you're landing on um Rannoch for the first time like they're they have not set foot on their home world in decades i think if i remember longer if, hundreds, oh yeah i was gonna say hundreds if not thousands of years yeah. right and so they're they're coming back to it and it's it's really shitty because again you're on, at first you're on the quarry inside i think most people are um but eventually you sort of learn that as you said in tally's um loyalty mission that there are certain political forces at play that just want the, they don't care about the Geth. They don't care if they're, if they're, um, sentient or not, that they have emotions and feelings and motivations. They don't care about that. They just want their home planet back. Um, and they can get it if they're, if they're willing to like open negotiations, but they don't trust the Geth at all because of their history and everything. And so it's frustrating and you want to just sort of smack them, smack these admirals and be like, just, you know, like it's it's right there. You can have peace. 
Um, and then they forced the Geth to turn to the Reapers again, because as you pointed out, they were like, we had to, otherwise we would have been wiped out. And so, th and then the Quarians are again turning around and being like, oh, see, look, they're helping right. the Reapers. And it's like, but you you play a role in this. You're not innocent in this. And so there was so much frustration and so much emotion built into this whole quest line. Again, that goes all the way back to the first game that when you resolve it and Legion and Tali as being these sort of ambassadors for their people, put aside those differences and say, yes, we're going to, we can work together. We can fight the Reapers together. I, yeah, I, I love that mission. It's, it's gotta be, you know, it's one of those things that it's, it's, there's so much more to it too. That's not even in the games. And so I would, I would pay for a full game just based on that whole war and that whole conflict. Cause I loved it. Yeah, well, and and so powerful. And again, like um, those two characters, you know, too, are right at the center of it. Even though it's a bigger, much so, such a bigger thing. Like you, you have both um, their insights into it, and like the the general Corian and Geth insights into things. But like an emotional attachment to like if I get this wrong, you know, I lose Tally in a horrific way, or like the Geth are wiped out by the Quarians, you know, or yeah. or the Quarians are wiped out by the Geth because like um you know, the Geth are forced to to sort of defend themselves they will. Um though interestingly you learn that as an outcome of the Geth and Quarian war, um the Geth could have wiped out the Quarians entirely, but they allowed them to escape Ranok, which is like yeah. pretty yeah, pretty cool moment and such a such a um a uh such a journey from where we were in the first game where like Geth are just kind of like a a mindless enemy, you know, and and missions where you're just shooting one after the other and like they're just sort of seen as like the Reaper's henchmen, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so cool stuff. Absolutely. I, I love yeah. it. Um, what other so you mentioned wanting to talk about like favorite points. Are there any other missions or things about the third game that you loved in particular? Um, yeah. I I loved, yeah, like I think we went over most of it. Um just generally speaking, the the DLC was great. Um and I loved the uh the sort of um, the missions that really emphasize that that continuity or, or brought back characters. Um, I really also um, just a shout out to kind of like something I think the third game does really well, which is is reaching back and like making you know those those things that you encountered early earlier in the series like really matter. Like even just like little things, like when you go to. Um, the elusive man's headquarters near the end of the game and you learn that Edie is actually that ai that you fought on the moon in the first game and just like a random yeah. side mission and you're like oh my gosh like this is this is so cool and like there, there there's such a great connection there i also love the moments and i want you know thinking about what we want to see in like a newer mass effect like uh, more even more of a freedom to like to do this kind of thing but like something i loved about the citadel dlc is just like how um much more open it was than like the main game to like be funny and to like yeah. let like some humor in and like when it did that like i loved it like i think um and and it also like it it you know it, it wasn't distracting like it made me like the characters more it made me feel more connected to them um you know and i i just i love that stuff and then like i said too just gameplay wise um i felt like there are so many lovely like sort of leaps and bounds there um so yeah i think that's 
pretty much everything. Do we want to do want to transition into the the bummer of the, the other game at all, or how do yeah, we feel so, about it? Yeah, let's let's talk about the ending, um, and then we can pan out quickly and just kind of talk about final thoughts about the the series overall. But the ending, um, what ending did you choose originally? We talked about that. Just remind us, and then what ending did you choose this time? Yeah. So this is really tough. I um so like when you get to the final part of the game, um a lot of stuff happens. Uh and we can maybe go into more of that, but like you're given these three choices and like they're more explained to you after the extended cut, but like in the original, I have to stress this enough. Like when I first played it, the original <laughs> version of the game you were given like three endings control synthesis or like destroy or like destruction or something um and control is basically which (laughs) spoilers control is the one i went with but like i felt horrible about that one too but it's basically like the elusive man was right you have to control the reapers and like tell them basically like you're wrong fly away like stop what you're doing this is like bad so like there's that one um there's the destruction ending where you just shoot like a red tube and it like destroys all the reapers but not just the reapers all synthetic life forms so like Edie, dead all the geth who you just learned are like important and like complex and like great like you've been learning that throughout the games they're all dead and then like also there's some ambiguity about like does that mean like species that rely on like technology to live so like what does that mean for the quarians if like i just shoot out like an emp or whatever you know like what does that do to their suits or whatever so like or like any ai or like what it's really confusing um and not well explained frankly um (laughs) but uh then there's the synthesis ending which is like totally the ending that the game wants you to go with which is like you throw your body um into like a green laser and then because you're part organic and part synthetic, you change, like, the genetic material makeup of every being in the galaxy so that, like, um, synthetics and organics are virtually, like, indistinguishable from one another. And that's the only way that, like, true peace can happen and, like, the end of this great cycle can happen. Now, I will say I made this comment, uh, like, when, when we talked about this before, but, like, a game that, like, celebrates diversity, like where has a conclusion that is like kind of pushing you towards where like the only way peace is possible is if we're like like sort of indistinguishable from one another where like synthetics and the organics have to be the same in order to get along i think is like a little bit questionable but like um yeah given all those choices i felt that like at the time that like my most responsible choice was to just take the reapers out of the equation (laughs) so like without destroying the geth or ed forever so like i went with the control ending but then in subsequent playthroughs i also tried out like the synthesis ending and then the destruction ending as well um what did you pick on your very first time through or like what was kind of your thinking my very first time through again i didn't feel super I, I didn't like any of the choices because they all felt like just bummer and they are they are all of them are just bummer endings um but I didn't feel quite as invested because I was like again I was sort of looking at it as like well the time my time with the series is done so I don't mind that 
I don't really care too much what the ending is because it's everything is over anyway. Um, and there's not really much of an ending. You know what I mean? They, they show like you said, you mentioned before, like a slideshow. And so it's not like we get a, a very satisfying epilogue after the, after your choice. Um, and so the first time I played through, I chose synthesis. Cause as you said, the game was sort of pushing me in that direction and it was talking about breaking the cycle because so much of the third game in particular is based on the idea that it's a cycle. It's a cycle. You can't stop it. It's a cycle. Even if you destroy us, I think one of the reapers says, um, which I love that scene too, when you're talking to the reaper. Um, but it, it says something like, even if you destroy us, like another, you know, synthetic race will, rise up and we'll we'll kind of start the process all over again and so the idea that you will merge everything i didn't like it because it, like you said it was unclear about what it did and so it almost sounded like we would lose as you said our individuality um and i was like so all of that hard work that i did <laughs> all of like i went through hell through three games to do all of not only just all the big major stuff but even something as significant as stopping the geth and quarian war by convincing the quarians that the geth are their own race and deserve respect and autonomy and all these things um i stopped that war that like centuries old war and how significant that is and now i'm gonna be like just kidding it doesn't matter we're all the same like it felt so kind of silly and but i was like but i don't want to kill all if I choose the destruction route, it's the same thing. I'm I fought so hard to get yeah. the Geth respect and agency and all this stuff, and now I'm gonna be like, sorry, I'd rather the the organic beings live, so I'm gonna wipe all of you out, including my secret love, Edie, um, and my secret best friend, Legion. Like I I just didn't want to do that either. And then the control ending, I was like, <laughs> the game doesn't want you to do that, which is why I think it's super fascinating that you chose that because you fight so hard against the elusive man. That that's what he wants to do. And you're like, no, you're wrong. You're wrong. And then at the end, you're like, actually, but I will say one of the differences. So I'm going to sort of back out, pull out a little bit here um, in my experience between the first game and the second game was, and I don't know if it's just being 10 to 15 years older but well 10 by the time the third game came out um but i was a little bit more open to the reaper's argument and maybe it's just because the last two to five years have been so dark in our nation's history <laughs> so many terrible dark things have happened that i'm a little bit like you know what you're kind of right like maybe maybe we should be harvested not harvested but like maybe I shouldn't be fighting so hard or maybe I should be listening more closely to what you're saying, even though they never really fully convinced me that their approach was right. Um, but again, I don't, I didn't feel like that giving them control because they, they, they made it clear that it's not breaking the cycle. I could, I could get them to leave and I would save the remnants of earth and Tachunka and all these other planets that would have been, you know, completely eradicated. I can save all of my friends and my life we're not my life. I'm, I still sacrifice myself, but like, you know, everyone else will survive and I just have to live with the knowledge that it'll happen again. Who knows when it could right. be a thousand years, another 40,000 years, but they'll be back. They have to. So, um, I originally chose synthesis because the game wanted me to this time. I had heard that because I had played the third game before they had issued a patch and before they had issued all the DLC and everything. So, I didn't have the option of going with the now what's called the hopeful ending, which is 
one of the destruction endings. It's like the Paragon destruction ending, basically, where you choose um, to destroy all synthetic life. But you, it's the only ending where you as Shepard live, or at least there's a hint that you live. So I chose that one because part of me is like now retrospectively looking back. Originally, I was like, I don't, you know, I'm not, this is it. The trilogy's over. But now with like Andromeda coming out and like new games coming out in the future, now I'm like, how can I pass up wanting to live? Like I want Shepard to live. Yeah. And so I chose that that destruction ending because I also sort of, because they were so unclear about what it meant that all synthetic life would be wiped out. I was like, synthetic life is based on ingenuity, right? The ingenuity of the organic beings who created them. Why can we not create them again? You know what I mean? And like in theory, in so many of these cases, their consciousness is not organic. It's not human. They don't have a brain that can die. So who's to say that their consciousness consciousness is not still out there, backed up in something? Because it doesn't say that all electronics are gone. It just says that synthetic life <laughs> Which, is gone. So what that means or how that works. Right. <laughs> right. So I can like twist it in my brain a little bit to be like, you know what? That's all we have to do is reprogram them. And it's going to take a long time because it destroys a big chunk of the, the mass relays. So we don't have much of a way to get between systems at the at that point in the game. But there's a little bit of hope that, like, number one, my character is still alive because you see there's a, a post-credits cut scene where it shows your N7 armor and you take a breath. So you're still alive. Um, but also hope that we might be able to revive the synthetic organisms that we killed so that's what i chose this time i'm not i'm still not happy with it but yeah but what i would I say know. based on what you're saying too is that like um <laughs> the the endings you know as much as um it is incredibly unsatisfying that they're poorly written and badly explained and you know shoehorned a little bit and based frankly on like premises that I don't agree with or think or ultimatums I think are a little bit reductive given everything we've just experienced through the games. But like they also have enough like holes in them that you can kind of like write your own ending, which yeah. it sounds like you're doing, which like I did too. Like, cause like the control <laughs> ending is like totally preposterous to me. Cause it's like, it seems like a lie that the Reapers made up just to trick Shepard. <laughs> right. Like being like, yeah, wait, but hold on didn't he become indoctrinated because he wanted to control you? No, no, no. But see, we already controlled him. So we couldn't do that. So you should, <laughs> you should probably be fine if you yeah. just want to control us. And then like he goes and does that and they're like, it totally worked. Like, I can't believe gotcha. <laughs> I can't believe he fell for it. We've been trying to kill this guy for years. And all we had to do is be like, no, but you could actually control us. <laughs> yeah. What's all we had to do was seed his dreams with the image of a small boy that died on planet earth that he failed to save and then at the last second make a little holographic version of that kid and be like play save us and he's like oh shit okay well sure <laughs> done and done high five <laughs> high five my dude oh you're exactly. a ghost i can't <laughs> guess i'll go throw myself into the beam yeah, um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah synthesis <laughs> we have this giant energy beam it'd be super cool if you just <laughs> threw yourself into it we'll go away i promise <laughs> Um, yeah, so, so th those are the endings. Um, and we will talk more about the, the teaser trailer that came out this last December. That'll be the last thing we talk about, but let's pan out a little bit and talk about the series in general. 
Um, what was your sort of overall, did anything change overall with your love with regards to your love for the series or things you were critical of or just, um, what did you walk away with feeling after this latest playthrough of the trilogy? Yeah. You know what? I, um, went into it cause it had been like a, a number of years since I played it and I was kind of like, Oh, like now that I played like bigger and flashier RPGs that, you know, as we talked about of kind of like taken a lot of the mechanics and ideas that this trilogy has has sort of pioneered or like done really well um and they've kind of like expanded on them and like made them bigger and better in a lot of ways but like um my thinking was like oh no like now that like all these other games have done that and i've had like my mind blown i've had my my favorite game of all time you know mass effect 2 supplanted by the witcher 3 like will I like enjoyed as much and like I think my big takeaway was like totally yes and like even more and like um I found myself shocked by by how much nothing had really changed in my like sort of enjoyment of it and like playing those missions again and spending time with those characters again I just fell in love with the the series all over again and like are there things that like haven't aged well like of course and like are there like you know mechanics or like level design issues that like i think or like facial animations like have has facial animation technology like improved like absolutely but like i i just i i was shocked by how much the attention to detail like the writing the the vocal performances even little things like you know in so many rpgs like the anytime you have a conversation with anyone it's just the same camera shot over and over again it's like you them you them and i was shocked with like how much just like in regular conversation or in regular story like the camera's moving around like there are interesting things happening visually and like each of those moments they're just so beautifully crafted and and sort of curated um and there's just such throughout that series there's just like such an attention to detail and it just it just made me feel like you know like if you're and what made bioware so special is like them doing that means that i think their games even though things may like grow and change and like our our game technology may you know become more and more impressive like those things will make their games like last or really stand the test of time and uh i just playing that like it just it it just made me realize that even more and, and just made me feel like for you know future games like i think just going back to that you know that approach and like obviously obviously using like the the tools we have available now um to like sort of make changes here and there but just that approach can't lose of just like really crafting it and recognizing that even though it's like an open world in quotations like rpg you know like um and like there it there is like a ton of choice and freedom you want to give players like that choice and freedom is so much more meaningful if you follow it through with like mm-hmm. real consequences and like real like crafted story like that Morden example. Holy shit. You know, like yeah. and, and like it's a shit ton of work because that's content that like a ton of players will never see. But like to experience that and to have, you know, the freedom to make choices, but for those choices to really matter in a carefully crafted written world like it it makes all the difference um so that yeah it just it 
playing it again just reaffirmed that feeling in me and just made me long for yeah more games like that and mass effect games like that um to play again would just be phenomenal yeah absolutely i felt the same way i was so i was so surprised by how emotionally resonant the games were because i did i did feel like you said some of the level design things and some of the gameplay things didn't age um perfectly but they didn't age that badly i don't think um, it didn't distract from the formula or what made the games magical. And I feel like, like you said, that's what Bioware needs to realize is like, no one has been able to replicate that formula. There have been other games like The Witcher that have done their own thing and that are amazing and incredible in their own ways. But no company has like said, has looked at the Bioware games and said, we're going to do that and have have succeeded to that extent. And I feel like Mass Effect 2 was sort of the peak of that. And then I like the thing that you pointed out about EA because it does seem like EA probably fucked things up at some point and started saying, well, what about DLC and like, where can we cut costs? Because you guys are spending so much time and money developing these things that players may never see. So can we like, you know, cut down on development a little bit and like just stick with the core choices? And it's like that is taking away from that magical formula, that magical spell that they had. Um, and I think that leads us nicely to, oh, let me, let me just say that, like, for my, for, from my point of view, like, I appreciate the series more because I played them concurrently this time and I haven't played them since the first time. So I had that emotional response and that nostalgic response, but then also, as I said, going into all these planets and looking at all this like background and lore and these codexes and everything, and experiencing all these player stories back to back just made me so much more appreciative of like you said the intricacies with which they wove all of that together um and conversely or consequentially maybe made me mad about the ending because we talked about before like i was very uh, sort of apologetic for them and i was like well but how else did you expect it to end and blah 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 but playing them all back to back it really sh does showcase how seemingly rushed. I think that's the word you used yeah. in our conversations. Um, that last game was, it really does seem like they were pushed up to a deadline. And, and you said that you've read interviews where they said, yeah, like yeah. we didn't want that. Like we wanted a different ending and we wanted you to have more time and everything. And, um, and you can really see that. And so now I'm like this second time through, I'm, I'm definitely seeing the arguments that the ending was, you know, weak or incomplete or, you know, just not as impactful as it could have been. So um, the second time through, I am a little bit more like annoyed by the whole ending of the third game. But um, how does that, does that change our feelings that we don't have a, we should probably wrap up, but two things before we do one, did it, did it change your feelings about Mass Effect Andromeda at all? Cause for me, it kind of did. Yeah, it totally did. Um, I just don't, we, 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 yeah, we, we've talked about this before, and I think a lot of people who are critical of Andromeda made this point clear. I think, and I think unfairly, too, because I think that, like, I think people had such an extreme reaction to Andromeda because of how much they loved the original trilogy. Right. Even though, like, I think Andromeda does, like, some things, like, well and, like, has some, some good stuff going on in it. But, like, I to me, it, j it just makes me feel like without again that approach to writing that 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 craft and that sort of 
expanding and, and weaving of the lore we saw across three games and like that establishing that history, that place, those characters, like that entire world. Andromeda severs itself from that. Um, from what I understand, a lot of its development woes came from the fact that EA wasn't really interested in making that kind of a Mass Effect game that we saw with the first three. They wanted a procedurally right. generated experience, something almost akin to like No Man's Sky from the sounds mm. of it. Um, um, because like that's a game that's that's a game format that's easier to make because carefully curated, written, painstakingly drawn out games that like most players won't experience the entirety of based on the choices they're making aren't as profitable as like a game that just recreates itself, you know, over like for hours and hours. Yeah. Um, like I think that they were not in it to make that kind of game. And I think like you can tell like what playing it and, and like, it's just hard too. Um, if you don't have that attention to, to writing and to, to putting those things out there, um, and, and on top of that, you're severing yourself from that entire universe um, with all those characters and those places and that history. Um, it matters. Like I felt it. Like I didn't. I didn't think Ryder was that great. I didn't think any of the companions in Andromeda comparatively <laughs> stood up to like the the companions of the original trilogy. Um, and on top of that, I just think like again the the sort of colonizing mechanism at the or force at the center of that story of like we need to colonize planets you know it, it works well for like again like a no man's sky where like you could just have procedurally generated planets until the day you die but like i don't know if it's as engaging for like a mass effect story and certainly from like a you know social justice perspective the idea that right. like our game is driven by colonizing worlds you know it's 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 questionable so uh, to me, playing it like thinking about it alongside replaying the original trilogy, I don't think it's particularly flattering. Even though Andromeda technically is maybe more impressive in some ways, you know. Yeah, I had the same exact reaction. I really liked Andromeda when it came out. Um, it probably was still my least favorite Mass Effect, but I loved the original trilogy so much. But I think maybe because I was so removed from the original trilogy that it was so exciting to have a new Mass Effect that looked really good i didn't experience nearly as many of the but I, I hardly experienced any bugs um but like you said people were super hypercritical of it maybe in part because of still maybe some lingering you know resentment over the ending of three um but also because of their love for the original trilogy and so so much of the the vitriol surrounding it just seemed unfair um but having said that now playing through the original trilogy and re-experiencing the magic of that formula that we were talking about i'm like the andromeda just doesn't have it it's a solid game i think it's really fun i like it it has some of the elements it has the romance but as you said most of the characters don't hold a candle to half the characters in the original trilogy so um i ended up walking away more kind of excited for what it meant for the next mass effect which because of the reaction to that they scrapped so now there is going to be no from what from my understanding there is going to be no like andromeda 2 but there is a next mass effect game so let's talk about that so they released a teaser in december at the video game awards is that what they call it the game of the game yeah, awards. yeah the vg was it the vgas or whatever um am i thinking ah, correctly video, yeah maybe maybe that's it um and so it's a very brief teaser that sort of 
does a little bit of, if you've ever seen the movie Contact, a little bit of that kind of thing where this camera is panning through different star systems and you hear radio chatter in the background and it talks about the first contact war and the Reaper invasion. And so you get a sense that this is probably the galaxy after the end of three, um, the Milky Way galaxy. And then it sort of zooms in on this N7 plate that's kind of half buried and a character picks it up and brushes it off. And then the camera pulls up and you see uh, a vehicle in the background with people getting out. And then the the person who picked it up is revealed to be Liara. Woohoo! Yeah, which was everyone, that's what excited everyone because it's, it indicates that we're going back to that original galaxy, the characters. I noticed, I watched it again last night just to refresh myself, and she has like crow's feet around her eyes. So I'm assuming that indicates that Tossing this isn't much older. Yeah. So maybe a lot of the characters from the original aren't going to be around. Maybe someone like Legion might be, but most of the character, most of the, the races that we encounter don't live beyond a couple of hundred years. So um, I, I, I suspect my love, Ashley Williams, is going to be <laughs> long dead. <laughs> hey, oh, yeah. darn. <laughs> Befriending a bunch of like Confederate ghosts on Earth. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we have a lot in common yeah um yeah, as it so but so we don't have much to go on other than we know that one character is probably going to be returning we know the setting is going to be a futuristic version of the milky way galaxy as it was left at the end of three um having said that what do you want from this game like what do you want from the next that's a big question i know and we're, we're already far beyond time but like what are some of the key things that you want from the next Mass Effect? I have, yeah, I, I, I have like a 500-page document that I could read <laughs> from. But no, I, I, yeah, I, I will, I will condense things down. First of all, can you imagine if, like, if the, uh, the, the privileging the Liara romance continues and like Mass Effect <laughs> and like Commander Shepard is alive, frozen in the ice, and Liara finds him, and you just get to pick up where you left off, and then in the meantime, anyone who romances Tally, it's like she's long dead, and so uh... are, and so are you because she couldn't come and save you from the, <laughs> the dungeon. <laughs> Uh, no. <laughs> no, and yeah, and if you romance Ashley, you just have to hang out with her Confederate ghost friends. And so, <laughs> so the only way you can play the game is if you romance Liara. Any other option, the game asks you who you romance, and you're like this person, and they're like the end, and you're like what the fuck? And they explain that well, they were dead, so no one else cares about you enough to save you. So, um, your game is just a dynamic PS5 theme of Shepherd's Grave. <laughs> <laughs> going unattended <laughs> it's like the ending of gangs of new york where you just see like the <laughs> the n7 armor slowly decaying and like buildings are rising and falling in the background <laughs> um uh. no but yeah, yeah wow it's kind of beautiful if you think about it but uh no um the uh yeah some things i definitely want one which we've been touching on like a ton just with our impressions from the series is again just like i think a recommitment to like what bioware does well and like what we saw with uh their ea sort of like loosening of their grip on like the the team making dragon age and going like you don't need a multiplayer component just like do what you're gonna do yeah. Like that's hopefully a good sign of, of things to come. And like, certainly the success, as we mentioned of 
the uh, legendary edition speaks for itself of like guess what didn't come back like the multiplayer component in the third game and like who was upset about that like some people maybe but like it certainly didn't get in the way of sales um so like that shows i think that these kinds of games can be super successful and people want them so like just a general commitment to that but i talked to you about this but i am thinking a big thing i would want would be a protagonist that isn't like a human or having the option to play as different races i think would be absolutely huge yeah you mentioned like the the quarian and geth history like the geth rebellions like all that like playing as like a quarian character is like a geth character would be awesome <laughs> like um if we did like a game from the perspective of like a turian the other thing i would want is even if they're not like playable characters diving more into like the worlds and histories of like the drell and the hanar for example or like the elcor or like even like the volus like that would be so cool like all these corners of the universe which are fleshed out to the extent that like everything in mass effect if you look hard enough is like really fleshed out in a lot of ways but like could be centered in a way that it hasn't been historically i think that would just be so cool and i'd be so down yeah. for it also shepherd being dug up by liara and <laughs> reanimated using the lazarus project 2.0 <laughs> would be incredible <laughs> i would yeah. i would want that but now, what what about you, Joey? What what kind of uh, gets you excited? I, I, I. One of the things that gets me excited is the idea that all of that lore that I talked about being so excited about in the original trilogy, carrying over. But now that lore is your lore because it's going to be talking about the Reaper invasion and the Geth and Quarian War and like these things that you know where Shepard is this like mythological, not mythological, but this mythical being, this like legendary person who did all these incredible things the savior of the galaxy kind of thing um and from there i don't know like part of me wants to revisit some of that stuff so part of me wishes it could take place right after three and they were more clear about the ending and they give us a sense of like now it's time to rebuild um but part of me understands that that's that's not that doesn't do well to make new games so like you do need to probably need it to be in the future um so i do want there to be i want I want Shepard's shadow to be long and influential, but maybe sort of like they did with the new Star Wars trilogy, um, left behind after a certain point. So maybe maybe part of the first game is your character trying to step out of that shadow or figure out a way to overcome. And and I don't know what I I, I don't necessarily mean anything by that. Like I don't know that you're like a descendant of Shepard's or anything like that um shepherd and ashley's baby but like you know future future super great grandson or something but like um of course if you're if you're probably stepping into the, the shoes of the new hero of the galaxy then shepherd's legacy would affect you so um and there's so many you mentioned this in one of our conversations there's so many corners of the galaxy that haven't been explored because as they point out in the trilogy many of the mass relays go to endpoints that we don't know about and we're not sure if that's reaper space or collector space or not so we just don't go there but now maybe we're more confident because the reapers have been whatever ending they choose that'll be the interesting thing um reapers are destroyed or they're gone or something so maybe we're more willing because within a galaxy there can be tons of life forms and so maybe there's new species in that way you don't have to go to a new galaxy in Andromeda. 
Um, and so I want to explore some new, uh, I want to explore new, new areas of the galaxy, but also be able to revisit old ones and see the remnants of old civilizations that we saw before. I think I love that when games do that, where you see, you know, a new, a, a city that you've been to in the old games and now it's completely changed and there's only small things that are recognizable. And then the other thing I want is for them to take advantage of the new hardware, the Xbox Series X and the PlayStation 5 and the solid state drives. And I want that, I want you to be able, and this is getting, this is a little nitpicky and like idealistic maybe, but like I want to be able to like actually land on the planets and like go through the atmosphere and land and get out of the ship and all of that be seamless and not like loading screen. Now you're here loading screen. Now you're there because I feel like that would make, that would make the experience or like my role playing that much more immersive. Um, because having so many, especially back in the day, the loading screens were terrible. Um, and, and yes, it was at the cost of having beautiful detailed graphics. Um, so I guess that was a worthy trade in my eyes, but with all of this new hardware, I, f- I would love for them to be able to find a way to, and plus the way that a lot of games like God of War have been, have gotten to the point where there are no cutscenes, there are virtually right. no cuts, like they go from scene to scene, which I, I understand that the scope that we're talking about, planets and atmospheres and all that, probably couldn't do that. But having it be a little bit more seamless and a little bit more freedom in terms of where you can go with your ship and all that stuff, I think I would love to see that, so... I'm excited. I don't know when we're going to hear more about it, but I'm really, really hyped to to maybe see something in the next year or two, even if it's just another teaser. You have to think after how successful the Legendary Edition has been, they're they're probably thinking like, oh yeah, we <laughs> we want to like put something out. Um, yeah, and and I'm all, I'm all for it, um, especially if yeah they they do some of the things we're we're, we're talking about, which seems to be like along with it just making us happy that seems to be like 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 sort of consumer friendly and therefore like business friendly as well right of like like let's connect it more to the thing that everyone seems to enjoy you know in the same way that like disney is like you know what would make everyone watching a star wars trailer really happy is if um they saw the millennium falcon flying around you know at the end of it you know and i'm not I'm not against that at all. I think like some of that's good. So um, let's do it. I want to. I want to see more more Liara. <laughs> yeah, Bioware needs a comeback story. I feel like, and that that would be the perfect um, perfect thing to to rescue their flagging reputation because I think they're finding out reputation matters more than than you might think. So um, yeah. So hopefully we'll hear more. Uh, I'm so sorry this went so long. Thank you for joining us, though. Uh, what an incredible conversation. This is one of the reasons that I love talking to you, because you are a great conversationalist, and um, I'm hoping that listeners who are who love Mass Effect have gotten a lot out of this. I certainly loved it. I feel like we could go on for literally another four <laughs> hours, but, um, but thank you so much for joining us. Um, we'll hopefully have you on again. Um, you we already talked about this you don't have any like social media you don't you don't do social media very much right so so if listeners want to contact you they can they can telegraph me yeah i will pass on pass on the word 
Yeah. Um, if I could just say, um, before you, you wrap up, thank you sure. so much for having me on here, Joey. Um, I think the podcast is fabulous. Oh, I'm a regular you. listener and, uh, yeah, I would, I would love to be on again. This is very fun. Also don't follow me on anything, but pick up <laughs> Thronebreaker on the PlayStation store. Um, if you want a little, much like Bioware CD Projekt Red is in the need for a comeback. <laughs> and, uh, yes, that, that game will remind you of you know what's great about that studio which is uh their their boundless imagination and their uh, ability to to do a lot with a little and to make something that um is a, a, a provides an incredible bang for your buck so check it out write your emails in and then if enough <laughs> of us play it they'll make a sequel to it and i'll be very happy about it <laughs> <laughs> yeah and if you play it and you want to share your thoughts email us at podcast no wait Sorry, Pretty Pixels. I was going to do it again. I was going to say podcast at GameInformer.com. <laughs> this is not the Game Informer podcast. It's very hot, and it's been, a, it's been a long show, so please forgive me. Reach us at prettypixelspodcast at gmail.com. You can find me at Twitter at Losperman, and we will talk to you next week, everyone. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thanks for stopping by. <laughs>